Laddie doubled his first time up. Goes after the first pitch and hits it hard and left. Get up, ball. Get out of here. God. Laddie Guerrero has seen two pitches tonight. He's got a double and a three-run homer. Three and two, two outs. The runners will be moving on the pitch. There they go. Swing and a miss. He came back with a slider and strikes him out to end the ball game. Jordan Romano strikes out the pinch hitter and strands the bases loaded in the ninth, and the Blue Jays win. Works it to Sorelli at center. Sorelli across the blend. A step toward the slot. Back in shot. Score! Sorelli! 2 nothing Lightning! Wow. A huge goal for Anthony Sorelli with 11.54 left in the third. Okay, so it's the morning after the morning after the night before. Two sleeps in between whatever that was with the Maple Leafs and, and now. Have we, they have always, we come down a bit? Well, they always say to sleep on it, right? <laughs> I think that one... I think that one on Monday required two nights of sleep. Uh, I'm still, I thought I was okay yesterday. I was still a little shocked in the morning. So if my takes weren't sharp and I wasn't all there, I just know that I, I was such in shock from what happened. Games five, six, and seven with the Leafs that I just wasn't ready for that yesterday. And I had another full day to think about it. And I'm still in the same mindset on what I think they should do, but I'm open to more ideas. I would say like, I, I think yesterday uh, the way my takes were was you don't do anything. I know everyone's going to jump all over Matthews and Marner, but let's just, let's take a step back and look at the situation, see what we have and, and move forward. Whereas today I'm, I'm well, let, let me hear like, what do you have? Like our, everyone that called in yesterday was, Let's get rid of Marner. I've had enough. And I don't think the return back, like who do you who do you trade? I was trying to think of trade. I was looking at every team yesterday on what the Leafs could get back for for him. And I just right. I still don't see it. But if you want if you want Marner right here, what's your proposal? Like, let's hear it. Okay. So we we've got a couple of different angles that we can take today. That is one of them. If you if you want to trade Mitch Marner out of town, come back at us and don't make it some unrealistic thing. My view on the Marner situation is, is this. You can't, as you said yesterday, Ziggy, and I 100% agree, you cannot win that trade straight up. Because unless you're acquiring Connor McDavid, which isn't going to happen, or Jack Eichel, which is more likely to happen than the McDavid situation, but still very highly unlikely, unless you're trading Marner for somebody like one of those two, you can't win the trade. The question is, is can you make it a win through the deal itself and then the domino effects that follow? So you get some kind of package back that arguably, and I would imagine is less expensive than the near $11 million you're paying Marner each year. And you take what's left of that and you apply it to a Dougie Hamilton. Mm -hmm. You make a splash in the free agency market. So it's not just Marner straight up. It's that deal plus whatever else the cap space frees you up to do. I, I, I can get into conversations about that, but I think it's a two or a three-step process. The one step of trading Marner, you don't win. 
So if if you want to trade Mitch Marner, text us to 59590, tweet us at Scotty Mac thinks at Mike Zigamanis with a realistic trade proposal. And not just point A, but point B and point C. Make it make sense. Here's the other one for you. Kyle Dubas, Brendan Shanahan, address the media later this afternoon at 4 o'clock. We're going to carry it live here on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Some players will speak at 10.30 this morning, and you will hear that as well live here on Sportsnet 590, The Fan, and and Good Show and all of our shows will be discussing what we hear throughout the day. When Kyle Dubas speaks at 4 o'clock, text us to 590-590, what is the one question? What is the one question you have for Kyle Dubas? Ziggy and I have come up with more than one, and we are going to share them right now, but what do you want to hear from Kyle Dubas? No question is too stupid, unless you're making it stupid on purpose. And presume that Kyle Dubas has been injected with truth serum. Don't be afraid of the answer. Don't think the answer will be hedged. We're playing the game. What would you ask Kyle Dubas if he was injected with truth serum and could not lie? And that's question because it was stupid. (laughs) <laughs> i got a bunch written down ziggy yeah i know you got a bunch written down i'm gonna begin let's do it i'm, I, I'm asking yeah, your permission I, i'm like yeah instead of making a firm and confident statement i'm going to begin well i'm going you, to begin well, it, well uh, how if i mean if you were going to ask questions how aggressive do you go it's easy to sit here on the radio this morning and come up with all these tough questions. But when you're sitting there in front of them, that's what I think. That's what I think. I'm like, what would I do if I was on a zoom call or I was in, I was in it, you know, in a media scrum, how aggressive do you get with your questions? Cause I think, and I don't know if we want to tie this into Osaka and, and tennis and how much do you ask a player or management? Like, do you, how far do you push it? Right. And I always think that every time I see an athlete getting questioned and, and maybe if the question goes too far, maybe sometimes too personal, maybe they push the athlete or star. And, you know, how many times have we seen them get up and walk away and storm out, right? We've seen it with coaches. We know Tortorella and his dealings in the New York Ranger market. But I always wonder that, like, because I, I think you have to have some level of respect for the person in front of you, the, the, whoever's part of the team, but at the same time, you want to ask them something that's going to bring out a response. That's yeah. I, that's got some value. I right? mean, there's a, there's a lot of layers there. I think and it, this is actually the toughest time I would say, and I'm not doing it on a day-to-day basis like I did for a number of years, but I think that this is the toughest time to cover a professional sports team because you can't be around them every mm-hmm. single day. And Ziggy, you know it from the player's side that it is the cultivation of some kind of a relationship with a particular media member or a variety of different media members. And it is those private one-on-one conversations that aren't even necessarily on the record, but that offer background for a story or or give the writer some context as to what might be 
going on within the team. I'm not talking about betraying information of teammates or or stuff like that, but just just that helps to give context that if you develop that trust with the writer and the writer has trust in you, you know you're not going to get burned by that person. They are there to do right by the story, write it honestly, uh, there to show up the next day so that they're a face in the crowd if you or anybody else has any questions about what they said or what they wrote. That cultivation of two-way trust, it's harder to come by when everything is over Zoom. So, you know, I don't know who Kyle Dubas is closest to in the media. I don't know who he doesn't get along with, etc. But I do think those one-on-one conversations on background offer a lot more than these Zoom conversations that do end up on TV, that do end up on radio, that everybody sees, that are not exclusive, that are not more personal. And you just kind of get the stock answer. Like, I don't know what he's... Like, it's hard to know what he's going to say today that means anything to what's actually coming or not coming here in the next six, eight, ten weeks. Well, yeah, you want to be transparent as a GM or president, but it's some there's some things that you you have to keep private. Who are you thinking of trading? Like, I, what's he gonna say? Well, we're gonna sit down and look at it, and you know, I'm just I'm wondering, is somebody gonna ask him? Like, I, I'm this is one of your three questions, I think, right? I do, you probably well, want to ask about? I, do you want to go through them? Well, here's here's the question I'm gonna ask. I would ask: Is anything off the table. Now yeah, they, I'm the, sure the that's, stock that, answer that's is everybody. no. And and that's going to be everybody's first question. And it's the one that should be asked is who's available, who's uh, like how like what kind of changes do you want to make with this group? And he's going to say, "Well, we're going to sit down with the group and we'll evaluate everything, take a, you know, take a little bit look, we'll take a longer look at what happened in the playoffs. What was the disconnect from maybe what we thought we saw in the regular season?" to the postseason and make a decision there. That's what he's going to say. Like, what else are you, you imagine if he just sat down today and he's like, we're open for business. Could you like, imagine what would happen? Well, how about McCullen in, in the general manager in Washington? He said that only Backstrom and Ovechkin are going to be well, off the table, right? They do not like Kuznetsov. Well, that's days. a whole other yeah. story, right? With the curfew and COVID and just everything missing meetings. Like yeah. it's, uh, that was a mess, but, I like that's the equivalent. Like, what would you do if Kyle Dubas tonight said, you know, what what are your what are you thinking? Who's who is is everybody tradable? Like, can you will you make a move with anyone? And he came and said, while Tavares and Matthews are are we're not trading them. Everybody else, I'll take calls on. Sure, I take calls. Like, on, I take calls on anybody, Ziggy. Because I think you, you have Zoom, to. You, I think I think the Zoom would blow up. I literally think the I Zoom take, would blow I up. I take calls on anybody because you have to. You have to leave that smidge of the door open for the Oilers phoning up and saying, uh, how about McDavid for Matthews? I mean, it, that that might be the one move that you would make to pedal Austin out the door because you can never say never, right? Even though we can pretty much say never with this. These guys, yeah. they, they hedge on everything. But I, I do think is anything off the table is a is a non-aggressive way to directly get to the point. I... I would love to just sit down and say, Kyle, what, like, WTF was that? 
yeah. games five to seven. Like, that's the sort of question I'd love to ask. But again, you don't mm-hmm. want to embarrass anybody. It's all about relationships and, and all of that stuff. But it, it, again, presuming that he's got truth serum injected into him, you just say WTF was that and let him go. Uh, but I think is anything off the table a a pretty good way to start the conversation? I like that. Um, I think you have to ask about the playoffs. And the question I think would be, and I don't know if you want to expand on this, but how much was this on Matthews and Marner and how much of this was on the rest of the team and coaching staff? Ask him where he, where, where he saw the breakdown. He might come and say, when our best two players, when our guys we have to rely on, when our captain goes down, don't play the way that we know they can play, the what they did in the regular season, we're not going to win. Or he might say, we got out coached. Like we, there's times we should have changed the lines. We should have threw them in the blender. Our systems, Montreal just seemed to adjust all series, and we didn't. Maybe he goes along those lines, or he says maybe not enough guys show up. Like I, I, I don't, I, I'm not even sure. I don't even have a guess what he would say. Um, but that has to be asked: is how much of this was on those two players versus the rest of the team as a whole, and. How how I'm, and and how many seconds does it take him to get to John Tavares? Got hurt. We lost Jake Muzzin. Nick Foligno was compromised. Didn't play in some of the games. Yeah, I uh, yeah I I mean that whole thing with the with the injuries. I think it was those two players are a massive loss for them. Massive loss. You go and then anything can happen in Game Seven, and then you have one of the best one game players of all time, one of the best one game goaltenders you're going against. Like, I don't like to, I don't like to, I don't want to keep digging up the series today, but it's going to happen anyways. Yeah. I don't like talking about game seven. And I said how some guys, you know, they just didn't show up because it's a one game. Anything can happen. Like if you're the Leafs going into that series and you're up three, one, the effort had to be better in game five. Like who showed up besides Willie? Kerfoot was okay. McKayev was okay. But Willie was the best player one through five, and he showed up for that game five, and a lot of guys didn't, and you can't have passengers in the playoffs. Game six, just nothing went right, and then all of a sudden, it's a one game for for everything, for all the marbles. I just, it just, there wasn't enough desperation in five and six for me. Game seven, anything can happen. But game seven, that's when you can make a career. I don't think we talked about that enough on on Monday is that look at a guy like Justin Williams. Yep. Great career. I grew up playing with him in Toronto minor hockey. We've been friends for years. We still chat today. We'd send text messages and talk hockey, but he's known for game sevens. He's got the most points out of any of the greats in the game in game seven. And he's called Mr. Game seven. Like you can really change a career. And it didn't happen for a lot of the Leafs, right? It's it, game seven. I don't know what that was. I, I I think a lot of it is pressure. I think a lot of the guys go in that game. When you start to second guess yourself, when things don't go well in five and six, or you had a bad playoffs, you have to find something deep down inside you that a coach isn't going to tell you. A guy sitting on the bench isn't going to get you up for it. This is something that you've built up as a kid. Like how many times have you been pushed outside your comfort zone as a player and, and have won something? I think you draw on those experiences. Some guys have never been through something like that. 
They've never gone into a game seven like they did with that amount of pressure and had to perform. And it, it is a learning experience for a lot of guys. And I know a lot of Leafs nations, like I've had enough about the learning experience and the big four and that they're young and that they had the money and now they learn to play with the money. And now they've lost in the game sevens. Like the Leafs, the, the Leafs fans have had enough of it. Like I, I don't, I don't blame them for their reaction yesterday. I think it's a little aggressive with the trade Marner and all the personal attacks. The, well, the personal couple, attacks saw, are crap. I, that yeah. honestly, I saw one from from an, a media outlet. I was a little, I was a little shocked about Marner. I was a little shocked. So I don't know. It's not personal, but it's just I, I didn't like some of the stuff that's coming out against them. I, I just, it's, it, I didn't think it's fair. I think it was a bigger issue than just Matthews and Marner on on what happened in the seven games against Montreal. Yeah, I the question I would ask about about Marner to Dubas again if he was injected with true serum is did you did you see any red flags? Were there any concerns for you uh, because this is not the first time that he has struggled in a playoff series. And the thing that Leafs fans there's there's Two pieces of context here that I think need to be discussed when it comes to the so-called core four, the lack of playoff success to date. That is, is that these guys got paid appropriately. I mean, I would think that a lot of people feel Marner's making too much money, but appropriately they got paid on projection. And Mike Feuda was talking about this on our show yesterday, that for a long time, guys got paid for what they had accomplished these kids are now getting paid on projection because they're making big money out of entry level their fourth year and onward in the NHL, right? The best days are still ahead because you're getting into your 20s. You're not a teenager anymore. You're, you're a man and, and you're in your prime, right? From your early to mid-20s till about 30, 31, 32 years old. So, so there's that, the money factor. The second part is tied to the first part the term on their contract, Z. There's not a lot of time left here before Austin Matthews is an unrestricted free agent. Now, put the seatbelt on your recliner or at your kitchen table seat right now as you sit here and listen to this. It's not that far off. What were you doing? What were you doing in the summer of 2018? Because three years ago, that's the same distance of time is ahead that Austin Matthews is a, three, a free agent in, in 2024, pre presuming he doesn't get re-signed. There's not a lot of time left here. So it's not like you can be an Oilers fan and say, well, we got Connor for six more years. Surely to God, Ken Holland is going to figure it out at some point between now and then. The Leafs have, as it sits right now, three more chances with this group. Nylander comes up at the same time as Matthews. Marner comes up a year later, and John Tavares will at that time too. Mm -hmm. so, so it's not like we can sit here and say, well, they're young, even though that's true. Well, they're young, and uh, we got like the better part of a decade for something good to happen. Well, it's possible they got a better part of a decade for something good to happen, but all of their players that I just named – need to resign here for that to be the case. And this time they're going to have a choice.
They're not restricted. They're unrestricted. So that, that I think, is a pressure point in the backs of Leafs fans' minds as well. Yeah, I'm... I just I keep looking at the big four contracts or just I say the big three, the Tavares, Marner, Matthews. It's forty it's it's over it's forty one percent of their salary cap. Like I, I And that wasn't the plan when he signed them, right? No, and I know that COVID and I've said that yesterday. And, yeah. It's just you expect the cap to keep going up, that cap percentage comes down. Can can you can you win with three guys tied up at forty one percent? I I I'm we try to put a team together under the cap and we had a simulated series last year. You know how hard it was? And that was to pick anybody I wanted. No trades, no drafting, no development, no keeping guys happy. That was just trying to find guys in the league and put them under a salary cap to put a good team on paper. And it was extremely difficult. Now imagine trying to run a team. And that's the hard thing is like, do you want to get rid of Marner because of his playoff troubles? Do you want to get rid of a guy like that? The problem with getting rid of Marner right now is that it could take you 15. Like You could look for a Marner for 15 years and not get him. That's the issue, right? Like what You're going to get rid of Marner, and then you're going to try to find someone like him. Well, who do you want instead of Marner up front? Not a trade for Seth Jones that we've been talking about. Like who do... What's going to come back for him? This is what's going to come back for him. A good prospect, a couple draft picks, and a first rounder. So what? How does that make the Maple Leafs win next year or the year after? And probably a player to offset some of the the money. Well, but but Ziggy, you're now you're now saying you're arguing both sides of 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 the coin, and both are rational. But you're saying on one side, what are you going to get for Marner? And you're going to spend the next decade and a half looking for him. On the flip side, you're saying, but can you win when forty million dollars of an eighty-one and a half percent, eighty-one and a half million dollar salary cap are tied up in four guys? So I just think it's yeah, it's two different questions you have to ask yourself if you're if you're managing a team right now. But you're not and, trading and you, Tavares. You're not trading Matthews. And Nylander, Tavares has a no. Tavares has a no move. He ain't going right. anywhere. And, He's and, not going to want to move. And Nylander, Nylander. Well, I, he's with Matthews on that. Nylander represents really good value for the numbers he that he puts up. And I, I think that there's a lot to be encouraged by. I, st- I still wonder if William's going to be there every single night, but that's that's the type of player he is. And he's if he's the best player on your team, you got a problem. Just like when Phil Kessel was the best Maple Leaf, they had problems, right? They didn't have a lot of success. But William, for what he produces, a 30-goal guy making $6.9 million a year, that's a pretty good value contract you take that so if Matthews ain't going anywhere if Tavares on a new no move ain't going anywhere and we got really good value with William Nylander but you got to explore the possibility because you're not sure you can win with four players making half your salary cap well that that leaves one guy that leaves one guy and it's Mitch Marner coming off another bum playoff where there were some red flags. Did they lose the series only because of Mitch Marner? No. But there was disconcerting signs from yeah. from the player. And I mean, you can run this thing back next year and I think you're just you're just fine if 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 they are in the regular season. If they are 
as consistent next season in the regular season as they were this year, that's good. The danger, though, is if you run it back with the divisions realigned to how we expect them to be and how we know them, and you get 2019-2020 pre-COVID Leafs where there's disengagement every other game, then you've you've run it back and you've probably wasted another season. I, yeah. he's, he's got a lot of tough questions to answer, and I think, Ziggy, he's going to have to, I don't say take his best guess, but he's going to make moves. You don't, nobody has a crystal ball. He can't possibly know how this is all going to look. Yeah, I am. And I, I know we, uh, we have to break right now, but think of these massive decisions. Hyman, I know we'll continue this after the break, but this is something to think about. What do you do with Zach Hyman? How much do you offer him? Do you take calls on Mitch Marner? Do you take calls? Like if you're trying to blow up the big four, do you take calls on William Nylander? I don't think his value is ever going to get higher than right now. Um, what do you do with with Morgan Riley? He's up after next year. and You can't let him walk. And then what do you do in net? Like, I think these are massive right. decisions. Like this is, this is, this will affect this organization. Like these decisions will have, a, I think a 10 year effect on where this organization goes. Well, And you also, one of your questions, I want to get to it because it ties into everything you just teed up, which is let's not forget the Seattle Kraken are about to be a thing. There's an expansion draft coming up. Who do you protect? We'll touch on that next. Next question. Down with the Edmonton Elks. Yeah, I like it. New nickname? Oh. The Elks. Yeah. Hayden Matthewson, our assistant producer, just pointed something out that the plural of elk is elk. So So they're the Elks, even though there's no such word as Elks. Okay. I'll uh You'll file that one me, under who me, gives a crap. Let me, let me think <laughs> I'll think about that I'll one. For a couple the, weeks. That one under <laughs> who gives a crap? Let me, let me sit on that one. <laughs> we'll work. Oh, no, good. But, yeah, but, good. But, yeah, but good on them for for changing the name. It was it, long, long overdue. Oh, right? long overdue. Yeah, the two yeah. two things you might see on an Edmonton highway: a Connor McDavid's SUV and an elk. Okay. Not 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 elks. Yeah. Not 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 too many elks. <laughs> <laughs> it's like moose. Goose, geese, moose, me, moose, moose, mooses, moose. All right. We're not going to ask Kyle Dubas about the Edmonton Elks or anything like that. We are asking you no. today uh, to give us uh, on Twitter, it's Scotty Mac thinks at Mike Zygamanis, the question you would ask Kyle Dubas when he addresses the media at 4 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, we're taking texts as well to 59590. We'll get to those in just a little bit. Uh, we've begun to break down the possibility of 
breaking up the so-called core four, which I think you would do to free up some salary cap space to address some other areas. Ziggy, though, a question you've got ties into all of that, and it's one that we've had a tendency to forget, which is that there's an expansion draft coming up because the Seattle Kraken are about to become the NHL's 32nd team. The Leafs are going to lose somebody. You can either protect seven forwards, three defensemen, and a goalie for a total of 11 players, or you can protect four forwards, four defensemen, and a goalie for a total of nine players. The Kraken, I almost said the Elks, the <laughs> the Kraken cannot touch any player on an entry-level contract, and obviously free agency status plays a role in this as well. If you're mm-hmm. the Leafs, what direction do you take? Yeah, I like I, I obviously you want to go seven, three, and one if you can. You just you get to protect two more players, but do you so obviously if you're gonna go seven, three, and one, you have a lot of you have a lot of decisions to make on the back end. It's which three defensemen do you protect? You got Muzzin, Riley, Brody, Hall, and Sandine is on an entry level, so you don't need to protect them. So you can lose one of those three. And then you can protect the whole forward group, the big four, Kerfoot, Mikheyev, Engvall, right? Um, I would I I would go four, four and one. That's what I would do. I would hold on to all four defensemen. Um, the only problem with that is that you're most likely going to lose Kerfoot. Are you okay with that? And the fact that he was so good in the playoffs and that was the Colorado Kerfoot that I remember watching playing, and that's. I'm just wondering if if you if you're Kyle Dubas at this point, why not just protect the big four and you get to keep your top two pairings intact and and go from there. Um, I, I I'm not sure if McCabe would get picked up or or Engvall, but Kerfoot most likely. But that's a that's going to be a big decision. Like you're going to lose someone. Would you rather lose Kerfoot? Or would you rather lose Hall? That's kind of the, that's that's where I'm taking this to. It's who would you be okay with leaving? You know, if it got picked up in the draft. Well, and if if you exposed Hall, then you, you've got to fill that spot, right? Because yeah. Dermot and Sandine, there's Lilligren in the conversation as well, potentially as a bottom pairing guy. But it it's already pretty thin back there. I I think I think you got to go four four and one. I really mm-hmm. do. And you lose Kerfoot, you lose Mikheyev, or you lose Engvall. I, mm-hmm. I think you can recover from that, and I think you can address in trade or in free agency, Ziggy, the losses of any of those players. You know, and Nick Robertson, one would expect, is is going to jump in and get an ample opportunity. They've they've got a couple of Russian draft picks that they're they're very, very high on. And I know you don't just backfill the roster with with a bunch of kids all at once they're different trajectories for different guys but they're gonna have to start getting production out of some younger kids who are on their cheap entry-level deals and you know Kerfoot at three and a half million dollars can you invest that money wisely elsewhere can you spread it out a little bit I mean you got Freddie's five coming off the books you may not be able to retain Zach Hyman, but we just did some math there. There's enough money 
available to bring Zach Hyman back if you value that. I still think they need a true bona fide number one defenseman. Like imagine, imagine bringing Dougie Hamilton here. I'm just using that as an example. Imagine bringing Dougie Hamilton here and adding him to Riley, Muzzin, Brody, Hall. Sandine is in the equation. Dermott's in the equation. Liliagrin is in the equation. Lowest rung of the ladder, but in the equation. You're looking at that D-depth with a true bona fide number one, a right shot in Hamilton who can be a point man on the power plate. Like that looks all that looks a lot better to me. I, I think I think there's a move to be made on this back end. And you don't even need to subtract. I think there's an addition that could be made on this back end if you've got the ability to spend the money that could really change the way things look. I think moving forward, they're going to have to ask themselves what's more important this coming year. Cause I don't think they'll be able to address both together. Do we just patch up the holes up front or do we actually go and get aggressive, get aggressive with Hyman? We stick with this, with the hall Brody Riley Muzzin for this year. And we hope Sandine can play and we pick up somebody for the minimum and go from there. It's either that or they go the other way. You keep, you go with the seven, three and one expansion. So you're going to keep the seven forwards up front. You're probably going to have Robertson come in and play. And you know, do you, do you, do you go that way? I just, I don't think they're going to be able to go after the forwards, the forward depth and the defensive depth this coming year with where the salary cap is at. And I think the Kerfoot decision is a big one, whether they want to protect them or not. And like, there's so many different, there's so many different ways they can go at it. And there's, like I said, there's a lot of big decisions. Keeping Kerfoot's one, how much to offer Hyman is another one. And I think, I think they have to get serious with Riley this this offseason. Okay, so give me a number and a term because this guy fascinates the hell out of me and he's not an $8 million a year defenseman. He likes it um, in Toronto. He likes it in Toronto. He will stay. What's the AAV? Yeah, I, like, I, how how can you give him more than what he's making right now? Like, the 5 million, I think is a great number for him with with the the cap being flat. Do you think he thinks it's a great number for him? Well, here's the thing. What, is he going to want more money? Every player wants more money. Of course, he's going to want to test free agency. I think if he wants to get in that six and a half, seven million dollar range, eight million, I think we're going to have to see more of what we saw of him two years ago, prior to the injury. The thing with Riley is that you have to decide if you're bringing in a number one or not, like a big number one defenseman. Because if you're bringing in a big number one, then you're going to have to move on from Morgan Riley. That's and that's the decision that has to be made. Do you have to go out and make a move for a Seth Jones or a Hamilton? You know, is, is that move available? And then you can kind of decide. But if they don't keep Riley, they need something back for him. Like that's got to be a really good trade that I would make this summer if they to make sure they get a good return for him. Like if they don't see him coming back long term and they have this number one they want to go and get. That's what has to happen with Morgan Riley. And I wouldn't sit on it because, you know, once the season starts, say he starts to like, 
Say he starts to light it up and say, no, I'll, I'll decide at the end of the year. Then what do you do? Then you're handcuffed. If you're the Leafs, you're in a really tough position. I know he's got a no trade clause. Um, I don't know if it's a no movement. It's a modified. Uh, so he's got a 10-team no trade list. So he can be moved during the season. But yeah, I'm, you, you have to decide if you want Morgan Riley. Part, like I said, there's going to be massive decisions. These are the times in organizations where, from a management side, these kind of make or break where you're at, right? Like you put your career on the line with the decisions that Toronto has to make this year. And the issue with trading some of your big name players, like what Masai did in Toronto by moving on from Dwayne Casey, coach of the year, and DeMar DeRozan, one of the best young players in the league, is that if that didn't work out for Masai and the Raptors, it's really like your job, his job was on the line. So once you start trading, you want to trade Nylander, you want to trade Marner, you want to trade Matt. Like everybody wants all these guys traded. It was it was Nylander two years ago. Now it's Marner. It's like once you make that trade and it doesn't work out, that's it's going to change your career uh, from a management standpoint. Well, I if you want to liken it to Masai, he decided correctly because he saw it more than once. And some would say, well, it's LeBron in Cleveland, and that was that was always the the poison in the water. They they just couldn't get past him. But he decided correctly that they could not win. They could not win with Kyle and DeMar as their two high profile players. Now, DeMar DeRozan's arguably the most popular Raptor ever, rightfully so, stand up guy, mental health advocate, but lacks on defense and couldn't shoot the three. So those are two key components in the NBA, right? The ability to shoot the three, play a little defense. You can forgive the latter if if you have a well-rounded offensive game. So he goes and he gets one of the best basketball players in the world, Kawhi Leonard. Granted, Kawhi I'm a fun had, guy. He was a fun guy and played a lot of games <laughs> the year before in San Antonio. There was some risk there because the story was was all weird. But he had decided, I can't win with Kyle and DeMar. So has Kyle Dubas decided that he can't win? And it's not, I can't win with Mitch Marner. Of course you can win with Mitch Marner. The question is, is can I win with our salary constructed, our cap constructed the way that it currently is? That's the question. Because mm -hmm. these players are, no league, they're all guilty of this, but no league more than the NHL turns players into commodities more because of the hard salary cap. So yeah. with the commodities I've got, at the price points I have those commodities at, can this team win? I, ha I How many times did I come on and remember during the trade deadline and I was saying, is this the year? Like, I love the Leafs. I love the makeup of the team. I thought a conference final, final four this year, was in the cards, was winning it all. I, I, you know, I was on the fence on, can this team go the whole way? We've had Elliot Friedman on how many times talking about once they, when they're making these trades, who do you offer? Are you giving up first round picks? Like how deep do you want to go? Like at some point you have to be all in. And this, this was the year that they were all in. Folino, bring in Joe Thornton. 
bring in Simmons, change the makeup of the team. Bogosian, all of it. They went they went in all they went all in. Like I, I don't know how much more all in they could have gone than this year. And you probably are gonna have like no disrespect to the Canadians. And I said this before the series started, it's not gonna be as easy as they think. And apparently it wasn't. And watch out for Carey Price. But when are they gonna get an opponent like the Montreal Canadiens? Like outside of a healthy 2015 Carey Price and the four their top two pairings, their top four defense. What like what scenario did you want to come into the playoffs for the Leafs to win a first round? Like this was the year. Who are they going to get? Like what easier first round opponent are they going to get? Yeah. It's not gonna. It's not gonna well, happen. Like it won't get any second easier. round too. Not that Winnipeg it w- sucks, but just it was it was the best path to the final four that this team could have asked yeah. for. And I said the Canadians are going to be a better playoff team than you think that during the regular season. I said it all year long. I didn't just say it yesterday after they knocked off the Leafs, but. I just don't I, I don't see an easier first round opponent for this Leafs team to knock off than the Canadians. And they had their top two goal scores with uh, two goals. I know Tofoli got the empty net, but a five on three goal and Anderson got the first goal of the series. Besides for that, it's not like they they had this amazing production from from their top scores. Like they didn't have it either. So one you're all in and you have this happen, like you might start second guessing yourself as a general manager. It's like, and that's the hard part is how much do I know? What have I gone through where I don't want to go down a path that's not going to lead this team and what I have to success. You have to remain patient. I know that's a big thing with managing a team. And the hardest thing to do is do nothing. It is the hardest thing because how many times can we look at trades and players you get picked up and moves made at the deadline that just don't pan out? And that's because teams aren't patient. They go for it when they shouldn't, or they make a rash decision and trade a player just because they've had a bad playoff or a bad season or the coaching staff or management just doesn't believe in them. And it it's happened a lot and it'll keep continuing to happen. And I don't think Kyle Dubas has done that. I think he's, remained patient and he's made very calculated decisions and I like a lot of them, but it's, I'm, it's a tough league and it's hard to win. I, putting the right mix and then you had a salary cap on everything. Like this is a big, this is a big off season. I, when have there, when has there been a bigger off season for the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs than this? Like I, 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 not in my time. No, no. And I mean, again, really good young core, high, high expectations, still can't get over the hump. We'll read some of the questions that you've sent in on the text line that you would ask Kyle Dubas when he addresses the media at 4 o'clock this afternoon. We will carry it live here on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Some players will speak to the media at 10.30. You will also hear that on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Vladdy Guerrero, another huge night. The Blue Jays win their home opener in Buffalo. And what responsibility, if any, do athletes have to speak to the media? Hugh will jump in. We'll discuss that and more on the panel coming up.
spent so much time yesterday doing the dissection on the Leafs. You, you never had the opportunity to point out that I'm the one who has to do the push-ups on the glass floor at the CN Tower. A uh, bet that must be paid off at some point. I thought it would have been bad form uh, to rub it in. Just wanted to give you guys a day or two to, to mourn, you know, to, to go through the mourning process, which, which is important, really, to get all that out of your system before I start hammering you. <laughs> this will be... I, you oh, you sorry, know, it's funny. Sorry, the entire time you were saying that sentence, I was actually picturing myself <laughs> trying to take a step onto the glass floor at the CN Tower because the last time I tried to do that, I was about 13 years yeah. old and I couldn't. I'll go up there with you. I'll do them with we'll you. Well, go up. No, yeah. no, no. Don't do the push-ups. Well, oh, good. You, Whew. Dodged a bullet. No, there. I was going to say, like, the, the whole point of winning the bet <laughs> is to not have to perform the action. Yeah. I'll, I'll, oh. I'll eat a sandwich while you're doing the push-ups. What kind of push-ups are these? Like, these aren't push-ups on the knees, right? These are full, real yeah. push-ups. These are push-ups. Like, what are the military push-ups? That's one, like, where you stand in your hands. Now, I do want to just say... That I have a lingering AC joint sprain in oh. my left shoulder. So. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Here yeah, we go now. Just, uh -oh. it's, been, it's an injury from are the you, gym. Are you going to be one of the, are you going to be, are you going to be one of the players that like when a team loses and like the guy has an upper body injury, he goes and does the curls on the ice because yeah. he can't do the pushups. <laughs> no, I'm going to be, gonna I'm going to be, be the guy who reveals my injury before the big game before the event. Well, yeah, uh, left shoulder yeah, there yeah. is. Uh, no, seriously, though. You it's plant a that seed, yeah. It's a gym injury from 2015 that's not been properly healed, but uh -huh. it will not prevent me uh from doing the 10 push-ups. All I will say, though, is it, it makes me a gamer. It makes it me a, a, a grinder, a hard worker. I'm pushing through it. You know, Scott, the word hero is often tossed around. Not all days, of them wear capes. <laughs> not all of them wear capes. Oh, you're a good sport. Good. I'm glad. Yeah. And go, go Habs, go tonight. And go Jets. Yeah. Yeah. Go Jets. <laughs> you want another bet? You want double or nothing? No. No, I don't know. No. I, love, I love Paul Maurice, the guy. I love Paul Maurice, the interview. But I saw him coach here for two years, and they missed the playoffs both years. So I, I can't count on Paul Maurice in clutch moments. Yeah. Mm. And your stupid goalie is probably yeah. going to, you know, do his thing again. St. Carey. Then you're yeah, I don't think I don't I don't think it's a slam. Everyone's talking how it's a slam dunk Winnipeg Jets. Like I'm here we go again. I'm not I'm not I'm not there. That's not I'm not there for that. Could like, you, it's gonna be a series. Could you imagine Montreal and Colorado? Only, Montreal and Colorado in the third <laughs> round. The only thing I'm gonna say <laughs> is that when you saw the Canadians get the leads in game five and six, how they kind of took a breath. If they take any kind of breath or were happy to be here in the second round, it's gonna be over in four or five games. But if they play the same way um, for the starts of five, six, and for the whole game of seven, yeah, I think Winnipeg's in for a series for Z sure. Ziggy, what, what's better, being off for like, was it eight days like the, the Jets are or being the Habs just rolling right into the next series? You want rest. Rest over playing in two days. Yeah. <laughs> like They should almost do something where it's two days off in between the series because yeah. that's tough. The physical, emotional toll of a seven-game series and then all of a sudden, you're going to fly somewhere, fly back home. You're not going to do anything that next day. And then all of a sudden, it's brand new team, brand new city, building, 
you don't even have a time to scout for them. Yeah, right? you, you saw what happened with Vegas after winning in seven over Minnesota. But that's what. Then, but then, Vegas had a chance and, to win in five. Like and, that's what yeah. we were saying about the Leafs. And then they threw Robin Leonard to the Wolves in Game One. You can I'll guarantee you it's flurry tonight. <laughs> Is it Jake yeah. Allen tonight for Montreal? No, it won't be. Oh, but no. but yeah. I like that's the. Whole, there is incentive to finishing these series off, though. You want time yeah. off, get it done. The Leafs didn't. They mm. had a chance. Vegas had the same opportunity, took them seven games. Yeah. So I, I think there's something to be said for earning. The, the other complication for Montreal is all the games they had to play down the stretch. Yeah. Right? Because they got backed up a little bit by the whole COVID situation, and so they really haven't had any time off in the last two, two and a half months. A texter blown up today with the one question you would ask Kyle Dubas when he addresses the media at 4 o'clock this afternoon. So here's the schedule. We will carry it live on Sportsnet 590. The fans, some players will speak at 1030. You'll hear that here. And then the front office, Shanahan, Dubas, Keefe, they will speak 4 o'clock this afternoon, and we will carry those conversations live. On Sportsnet 590, the fan. Dom and Maple says, why should you continue to be the general manager of this team? So he's coming right at Kyle Dubas. Doug and Brantford. Wow. Nobody's well, going to ask that. Well, okay. no, but this is what I'm, I'm reading text. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah, reading no. text. Doug, Doug and Brantford says, would you like to walk back the we can and we will statement? <laughs> you see, here's where everything that he's ever said gets dragged out. Yeah. Right? Toby Roberts yeah. in Oakville. Why did the team overplay Mitch Marner, which allowed him to overstay his shifts? Never heard that term used, but I would imagine that I, he's well, out there too long. No, it's a good point. Like, at some point, do you cut the minutes down? Like, it's first unit power play, first out there penalty kill, then back out there penalty kill. Then he gets double shifted with Matthews sometimes at five on five. He played 24 like minutes point, a night all year. Yeah, yeah. Like at some point, I would like something I would have done if I was behind the bench is I would have put the lines in a blender a little bit more, and I would cut down some minutes guys that aren't going. Like I've said this during the the series, the first four, three, four games, I said, how do you not get William Nylander more ice time? How do you not get him out there? And I said, you know, we talking with different guests we've had on the show is. Maybe once he gets to that 20-minute mark, his game starts to drop off a little bit. Like, what else could it be? Like, there's no other explanation for it. So, the Mitch Marner minutes, yeah, you you, you, you cut them back, and the, they should have gone to Nylander for sure. We were laughing last week about how ESPN is starting to pay attention to hockey. <laughs> Stephen A. Smith is back on the horse. Those Toronto Maple Leafs right there. The Dallas Cowboys of the NHL. <laughs> the Dallas Cowboys of Canada. Just failures on an epic level every year. How about them Cowboys? You know what? It's it's apropos. Uh, it, it's because, like I said in the, my last newscast, people. Some people consider the Leafs Canada's team because they have fans from coast to coast to coast, and 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 so many people love this team. Each year, so many people are disappointed by this team. Ask any Dallas Cowboys fan what it's like to cheer for that team. Well, they, they had some success in the 90s, but since then, 
Yeah. Mm. Well, the, and the the owner of the Dallas Cowboys thinks he's the GM of the team yes. and has for the last... Settle down just a little bit. All right, Jerry. I'll yeah. Maybe a little later. I'll take that under advisement. But he's, he's thought he's the GM of the team for the last 25 years. Yeah. It's a different setup here with the Leafs. But there's a point to be made. The, the one thing I have no time for is the notion that the pressure's too much in this market. You, you're under a spotlight that's greater than if you play in Arizona, but... The Boston it's, Red Sox. It's part of the appeal. The like, Boston Red yeah. Sox exercise the demon. They're, Boston is a Red Sox town. Yep. Okay? They love their Patriots. They love their Celtics. They love their Bruins. They're a Red Sox town. That team won 86 years from 1918 to 2004 without winning a World Series. They have won in 04, 07, 13, and 18. Four in the last two, less than two decades under pressure to perform, right? The Chicago Cubs, 2016, after 108 years. You think there wasn't a spotlight on them? I said, Mm. I think yesterday, fifth largest gathering of humanity in world history, that World Series parade down the streets of Chicago after they won. You think they weren't being paid attention to? This idea that Leafs players are somehow under greater scrutiny here and therefore... With that part is true, but therefore they can't get it done. It's a bunch of crap. It's a bunch of crap. Yeah, I, I, I don't play into that. I, I think I forget who said it. I, I believe was it Martina Navratilova or Billie Jean King? I, one of those two, I think, said pressure is a privilege. Billie Jean King, thanks, Vic. You're supposed to be silent, Vic. By the way, pressure is a privilege. And it's a privilege to play in these big markets like Toronto and Boston and Montreal and New York. It, 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 it just goes along with it. Would you rather play somewhere where you're not noticed at all and nobody gives a rat? Some players what? would. Some players would. Yeah, I, yeah, I can see that. And that's okay, too. That's if you, okay if you want to be an Anaheim Duck your whole life. That's great. Yeah. It works. Go to the beach every day after practice. Fantastic. I don't Good know, life. Beach in Anaheim? I'm not sure. <laughs> Not far. I've never been to Anaheim. But, not far. But pressure is a privilege, and 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 most players can deal with it. But to use it as a crutch, oh, we didn't play well because of the pressure. No, I don't. No, I'm not following you there. Not at all. Yeah, maybe ask. Maybe ask players. Do you want to be here? Like, yeah. is this? Is it like you? You saw what you just got involved in. Like, is this? Is this for you? I I, I think. Would they answer I that honestly, though, Zig? Seriously, like if, if like would a player say, "Nah, I, I really don't." Like that's that's the tough thing, right? It's a great question to ask, but you're never going to get somebody to give you an honest answer. I yeah. don't think. Yeah, I just I, I with all the media availability today, I I I hope Joe Thornton talks. Uh, I know I brought this up yesterday, and if I'm Kyle Dubas, I I approach him and say, "What's like what's what's the deal with this team? Like what's going on in the room?" Who wants to win? Who doesn't? Because like, you're gonna pl- have guys on every team that, whether they win, they win; they lose, they lose. They get their paycheck yeah. and they're happy with it, right? Yep. And then you're gonna get the guys that want to go out there, and you know, would give blood to to win a series. And that's those are the types of players you want. You you don't just want guys showing up for for two days of every month. You want guys that are are gonna make that team better the organization better and it's going to be a better place than when they got there. That's your only job as a player. But, it, but did it, I leave this organization better than when I got here? That's and a, 
Sorry, I was going to say that's a great point. You need guys that are going to give blood to to win a series. But those guys giving blood, they all can't be the third and fourth liners. Your top guys have to have that same attitude as well. I'm not quite sure we saw that in the seven games against Montreal from from the top guys. Well, one of the things that you face when you play in this market is you're compared to the ghosts of the past. Right? This is a Wendell town. This is a Dougie town. This is a, a Matt's town and a Gary Roberts town yep. and a Darcy Tucker town. And how many of them hoisted cups here? Zero. How many of them would have died trying? Oh, every All single of them. one of those guys. All of them. Yeah. Right? And that's what people want. Why did this town, and I'm not saying Toronto is any different than any other play. Everybody says, oh, Toronto loves the, the little guy. No, every fan base latches on to people who sure. inspire them. Why did the, why did the Blue Jays fan base fall in love with John McDonald for so many years? Because what the hell else were you going to cheer for? Yeah. Right? The team wasn't any good, or even if it was, the Yankees and Red Sox were winning 176 games a year, 162 (laughs) game schedule. Which is tough to do. It's a slight exaggeration, (laughs) but that's what I'm here for. So so what are you going to do? Like, what people want to know is that you left it on the ice. Right. Mm -hmm. And the owner of any sports team or the owners of a sports team, they're they they tend to be faceless unless they're Jerry Jones and they put themselves out there every single day. So it is the player and his salary. That is the focus. Right. The millionaires are going to get hammered if the millionaires don't put forth real or perceived what is their best effort. Yep. The billionaires who pay them, nobody's hammering them because they're not the product. Yeah. They pay the product, but they're not the product. And you have to want, you have to want that scrutiny. And uh, it's a double-edged sword. If you win a Stanley Cup here, you're, you're deified. Oh, you're a the god. The rest of your life, yeah. Right? Yep. That, that, that Chicago Cubs team from a star player like Chris Bryan or Anthony Rizzo to the 25th guy on the roster will never be forgotten in Chicago. Never have Boston, to pay for a drink again. Boston Red Sox no. fans can list one through 25, the players on that 2004 roster that broke the, the curse of the Bambino. You, you will be lionized. You will be deified. But there's a lot of scrutiny and a lot of pressure between then, or th- now and then. Right. And and with no promises that you're gonna get to the Stanley Cup yeah. and, and win it. So you gotta you gotta want that challenge. And it gets it, part of this is of course obligation to to speak to the media. And we live in a different world now where athletes can proliferate their own messages through their own social media accounts. They can control the messages better than ever before. They're not counting on a writer or a radio host or a, a TV host to share their story. They can they can pump out their own material. So the relationship between athlete and reporter, broadcaster, whatever, is different now than it was 20, 30 years ago. And we're also dealing now with athletes who have come up not knowing how it used to be. So the world has evolved and they, they don't give a crap. Naomi Osaka, the number two women's tennis player in the world, 
made an announcement early in the French Open that she was not going to speak to the media because she was fed up with the negativity and didn't want to deal with people who were, in her words, trying to put doubt about herself into her mind. A day or two later, she stepped out of the French Open and said, I'm going to take some time away from tennis just to chill out and, and get my mental health in order. Anybody who takes a responsible action that way, kudos to them. Venus Williams, one of the great tennis players of the last 30 years on the women's side. Uh, she's obviously not Serena in terms of the level she reached, but a terrific tennis player nonetheless has dealt with the media for 25 years now, and this is what Venus had to say as a reaction to the Naomi Osaka situation. For me personally, how I quote, how I deal with it was that I know every single person asking me a question can't play as well as I can and never will. So no matter what you say or what you write, you'll never light a candle to me. So that's how I deal with it. Um, but each person deals with it differently. Now, interesting comment from Venus. Um, I'm sure she feels that way. However, you have to understand she had just lost in straight sets to Ekaterina Alexandrova in straight sets. Maybe she was a little salty from that. And I, I don't like that answer at all because that implies the only people who can ask me questions about my game are other professional tennis players. And not just other professional tennis players, other professional tennis players who are better than me. So it, it's interesting when she takes that tack. So Howard Cosell didn't know anything about boxing. He was, he was unqualified to ask a boxing question. Dan Shulman can't ask a baseball question. I'm pretty sure Dan Shulman's never played professional baseball. So it's, it's a little disingenuous when Venus says something like that. As for the bigger issue of Naomi Osaka's situation, the, the four organizers of the four major Grand Slam tournaments have come out and said they are going to work with her and with players in general about making um, more resources available and just trying to better the situation. I tweeted about this a couple of days ago. I didn't like her decision to withdraw and walk away. I, I felt she should have kept the dialogue going and by walking away... and I. I and I would never say ignore your mental health. I'm not saying that at all. Take care of yourself. And it, it, but, and if, but if it's that serious, then she is doing the right thing by walking away until she, she gets better. Some people are saying the impetus for all of this is French Opens on clay. Traditionally a surface she hasn't done very well on at all. The next tournament is Wimbledon. That's on grass again. She hasn't done very well in her career on grass. So they're saying, they're implying that she doesn't want to answer questions about her, what was going to be a poor performance. She's won four majors, all of them on hard court. So it's not as easy and it's not as black and white and cut and dried as just saying, well, she has every right to not speak to the media. Or on the other side, she has, she has to speak to the media. There's a lot of moving parts to this. Sorry, I'm, I'm rambling. Ziggy, Go. Yeah, no, as a, as a, as a former player, I, I would always talk to the media until someone, you know, wrote something that you said you didn't say or asked you a question that pushed it too far. Then you just don't talk to them again. 
Like they should, when you do your media press conferences, you just, if you don't like a question from someone, you call your agent after you call the tournament, you call the, you call whoever you want to call someone in your camp. You say, all right, keep their name down. I'm not answering questions from them anymore. That's yeah. something I would have done as a player. But I think what this shows us with Naomi is that the athletes and the star players have all the power. And without them, there's nothing. There's no big tournaments where you can make your hundreds of millions of dollars. There's none of that. And I understand the players need the tournaments as well, but the power is with the players. And we're starting to see that. Osaka made $55 million in endorsements. And I understand she can't make that money unless she plays tennis tournaments. But I'm, I, I think a lot of, I think a lot of people in sports right now are, are going to realize how powerful the athletes actually are because there's nothing without them. So if they have an issue with press conferences, they're going to have to figure out a way around this. I don't have the answers. I'm just letting you know what I would do as an athlete. I would always talk until there was someone that said, wrote something about me that maybe wasn't true or pushed the limits on making something personal. Then you don't talk to them anymore. But anything to that, anything related to your sport or craft, I'd sit there and you sit there and answer it. As, as ridiculous as some of these questions are, and they try to pry and and trigger you. It's like just, I, and I understand it's hard if you have a mental health issue and I'm, I'm not, I'm taking that into effect in this whole situation yeah. is that you have to be careful. And that, that's I, a, I, I, yeah. I was gonna say, like, that's a good point you make about re reporters trying to pry and, and, and kind of create controversy where there might not be any, we have to keep in mind some of the reporters in Europe who, who cover the tour, the tennis tour, not all of them are, quote, tennis reporters. A lot of them are, are tabloid reporters who get, who get press passes and stuff, and, and sometimes they do stir the pot. Absolutely. I'm totally on board with that. As for the athletes controlling their own narrative, that's, that's dangerous. Well, that, that's where I was going to go. what, we're never supposed to ask you about a loss? No, but I, I mean, I th I'm, I'm looking yeah. at it. I'm not looking at it yeah. from the media perspective. I'm looking at it from the fans' perspective. A lot of times you'll hear people say, well, the media has an agenda as if the media is a person, right? Or as if there's some kind of organized cabal. Well, is, is your alternative preference to have pablum fed to you that has been authorized and solely proliferated by the athlete themselves or their people, their people. as if there's yeah. no agenda there? Yeah. Right. Well, it's like having one newspaper. Right. Well, and it, or yeah. or there there are a lot of complications. Yeah. yeah. Who owns another, what, etc. And another another thing is individual sports and team sports. I think there is a difference yeah. in in how you have to approach both of them. Yeah. At, at its best, uh, and I, and I tweeted this out. It, it's a symbiotic relationship. The athletes do need the media, and the media does need the athletes, and the fans need both. And you better believe both the media and athletes need the fans. So it, it everybody has to be on the same page. Are there some reporters who have agendas and who are vindictive? Sure, absolutely, but not the vast majority are not like that. Ken Davidoff is the national baseball columnist for the New York Post. We'll get him on at seven fifty. He's all over the Yankees, all over the Mets, but we'll talk to him about the Blue Jays and the role the Jays are playing in disrupting the upper echelon of the American League East. That's a hell of a division, by the way, if you uh, ignore the Baltimore Orioles, the other four teams, pretty good. And up next, Jeff Merrick. What is the one question he would ask 
Kyle Dubas this afternoon when Dubas speaks to the media at 4 o'clock. And would he consider trading one of the big four Maple Leafs? Merrick's next. lines are open to 595.90. What is the one question you would ask Kyle Dubas when he addresses the media at 4 o'clock this afternoon? The Leafs season ender. And when you ask it, presume that Kyle has been injected with truth serum. We will ask that next question of our guest. And should the Maple Leafs explore or maybe put differently, take calls on any of the big Four, Jeff Merrick. I already kind of know because we were on Tim and Friends together yesterday. I kind of know where Jeff's going to go with this. Let's Mm. see where it goes this morning. Jeff is brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Merrick, if a fish goes to DonValleyNorthLexus.com and buys a car. (laughs) How do we judge that fish? You drive it into the Don River. Who knows? Judge a fish by how it climbs a tree. It'll spend its life believing it's an idiot. I know, I know. Morning, Scotty. The Morning, way Ziggy. that the uh, Leafs Morning. drove their Don Valley North Lexus into the Don River over games five, mm. six, and seven. Yeesh. Not good, yeah. If Not you good. had one question for Kyle Dubas at 4 o'clock this afternoon and he was injected with truth serum and could not lie, what would that be? Well, the most interesting one, I think, for Leafs fans would be what offers have you already had? On all of these players, give us names, give us specifics. Uh, who's who's come to you already? But you know, knowing that there's not going to be any answer like that, um, I, I, I think. And, and Kyle is a pretty philosophical guy. Uh, we talked about this yesterday on Tim and Friends, Scotty. Um, when do you know a hockey player? Because all athletes, as we talked about yesterday, exist in two different states: in potential and actual. There are certain players that you look at and you go, okay, like that's he's reached or him or her have reached their ceiling. That's who they are as athletes. They are top of their game and that's who they are. And then there are players that always exist in this. And I shouldn't say always. There are other players that exist in a state of potential where you look at them and you say, okay, they're just going through something in their career right now. We still don't know how good this athlete can be. I'd be curious. From Kyle's point of view, when he looks at his team, who is still existing in the realm of potentiality and who is uh, who is existing in the realm of actuality? I'd be curious who he thinks is still in that area of potentiality. And we talk a lot about what GMs do with, you know, do they make big splashes? And I think this year was a big breakthrough for Kyle Dubas and the Leafs, right? We all had this idea of a puck possession, then all of a sudden it's, bring in Spezza, bring in Thornton, bring in these older guys' leadership, and then go and get Felino, go and get Simmons. I feel like he broke away from what he saw as his, as a team that he wanted to build. Do you think he takes that even further this offseason by by making a, you know, moving one of the big four or going and making a move for a number one defenseman yeah. and, and blows up the defense? Do you think he, he takes it a step further? Or is it, yeah. yeah. I, I, I wonder, Ziggy, if it's one of the big four or if it's one of the defensemen and maybe if that player is Morgan Riley. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's the one that I wonder about. Um, a couple of things here. Um, 
One, I think that what the Maple Leafs and I think their fans have realized this year is it doesn't really matter which veterans you bring in in a lot of ways. It's the core that's going to set the tempo and the timber for the team. Like, that's just it. And any development of this team, any progress for this team is going to come from their core players. It's really nice to have Wayne Simmons uh, on your team. It's really nice to have Bogosian on your team, Joe Thornton, Jason Spezza, all of the, the veteran players they've brought in. It's really nice to have them on their team. But if this team's going to improve, take next steps, all of it, it's not going to come from those guys. They're good to have on your team, but that's pepper and parsley. That's not the, that's not the bowl of soup here. It's going to come from Matthews, Nylander, Marner, Tavares, uh, and whomever you decide to keep on the uh, on on the blue line, I, th- I think one of the things that that the entire organization needs to do right now, and they've done this before, and this is nothing new to Toronto, is stay away from all the noise. Like right now, there's a lot of noise around, and man, Marner's really, really taking it. There's a lot of noise about got to do something with Marner, got to do something, get rid of Marner, got to make a trade, got to shake it up. This team is a bunch of losers. Can never. It's always noisiest in the shallowest end of the pool. So I think you stay away from the shallow end of the pool. Let people yell and scream and, and, and stomp their feet over there. Um, you know, get out and, and, and tread water in, in the deep end here. I think that if you're Kyle Dubas, I don't know how much you aggressively look to move one of those pieces. I think you listen on everybody. And I think there'll be, I think there'll be plenty of teams. I mean, Columbus was, you know, right there with the offer sheet uh, for Mitch Marner. You know, whether it's Arizona, New Jersey, whomever. You know, I, I think that there will be teams that call Dubas about a player like Mitch Marner. And I think you're open to just about anything at this point. But unless someone completely blows you away, knocks your socks off, I, I, I still don't think you do it. Because I, I still think that uh, a player like Mitch Marner specifically, and we started this conversation by talking about potential versus actual. He's a highly skilled player. Now, if you don't get the results you want out of a player like that, here's your question as a team. Do you quit on it or do you try to fix it? In life, not just sports, it's always better to try to fix something first, isn't it? for long-term satisfaction, and I think long-term health of either a relationship or an organization. And I think that's what the Maple Leafs are probably going to try to do here with Mitch Marner. How can the Maple Leafs get Mitch Marner to playing closer to how, and I'm trying to think of a comparable, and the one that always comes to mind for Mitch Marner is Pat Kane for me. How do you get him to play more like Kane and get some of the other stuff out of his game? To me, you fix before you throw away. What's the other stuff? There's a lot of moments where, like, one of the things about Mitch Marner, that's all, I remember one scout, Scotty, told me this, and it was a really good line. He said, Mitch Marner doesn't make the right play. Mitch Marner makes the better play, the play that no one sees coming. And in hockey, you know, there is the play that we look at and we go, oh, he missed that play. But then he turns around and does something else, and you go, oh, I didn't even see that. I didn't even, and then in the playoffs, when the gap tightens, and you, don't have all, you don't have as much time to make that play because the seam is there, and boom, then it just vanishes. And then you get frozen, and we saw that with Marner. I mean, how many times did you see Marner this playoff, Scotty, holding on to the puck and almost like he was paralyzed? Like, oh, that lane is there, and now it's gone. Oh, and that lane is there, and now it's gone. And try to figure out how to play within that. 
Mitch Marner always had a lot. I mean, he's a fun player to watch, right? Because it looks like he's, in some ways, it looks like he's play, still playing with the, uh, with uh, with Dvorak and Kachuk with the London Knights, top team in the uh, in the in the entire CHL. Um, and he could do that during the regular season. Generally, you can't play that style of game, and that doesn't work in the playoffs, as Marner and the, the Maple Leafs are finding out. So, uh, you know, someone, uh, uh, old hockey scout would say, like, all right, he's got to get the junior hockey out of his game. I still think you want to have the fun in his game, and you want the creativity still in his game. But I think Marner, and this is going to be the question that, you know, Dubas will have for Marner his camp. Is he open to that change? Is he open to changing the way he plays? We have got plenty of players that have done this. You know, there's a couple on Winnipeg we're going to see here in game one against the Montreal Canadiens in Blake Wheeler and Nick Ehlers. Can Marner do that as well? With Jeff Merrick on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. Morgan Riley's name has come up, uh, not just in this conversation, but earlier on in the show. And he is a summer away from unrestricted free agency. He'll make $5 million on the last year of this current contract. Yeah. I think the question that needs to be answered is... What's the number you value him at? And is he, because this is what he is right now, is he your number one defenseman? I I think that they would be well served. And you could draw up their back end, Jeff, and it would look really impressive mm -hmm. if you added Dougie Hamilton to the top of that group. And of course. maybe you gotta <laughs> may, maybe you gotta yeah. pedal Riley out though, right? Yeah. But but you you know, Liljegren's got to step in somewhere. Sandine is going to be a part of this. Dermot's a restricted free agent, so you get him done. Muzzin, Brody, like Hall, all of the names are still there. Maybe you play a year or start next year with O'Reilly still on the team and Hamilton mm -hmm. at an... I, I just... I, everything looks nicer with a true top dog. I, I, I don't know. I don't think the Leafs have that on the back end, right? They've got a bunch of good players, but yeah. I don't know if they have that dominant force. Although defensively wasn't the problem, though, was it? Like, that's the thing that I keep coming back to. Like, when you look at, you know, what happened with the Maple Leafs against the Montreal Canadiens, goaltending wasn't the problem. Defense wasn't the problem. Like, this turned into a really good blue line. Um, the problem was, ironically enough, and this is where they spend most of their money, pop gun offense. Now, were they tired? I mean, Justin Bourne maintains he saw, you know, tired hockey players out there, not unmotivated hockey players. Uh, the John Tavares injury killed you, and uh, and William Nylander was quite good. Um, but the, the problem was they're two big dogs. I mean, if they score four power play goals in this series, are we having this exact same conversation right now? No, of course we're not. Not not a chance, but they're two they guys one goal. So <laughs> if they scored one goal on the power play, like anything. We're not having any um, this conversation. But like having Dougie, like I think Dougie Hamilton's one of the best. I'm with you, Scott. I think Dougie Hamilton's one of the best defensemen in the NHL. And any blue line that has him is automatically better. I just don't know. I just don't know. Um, I just don't know if, if that's what you're after right now. Now, if you're moving out Morgan Riley and you have a spot and Sandine's not ready to take that next step then, of course, but you're not going to know that until Dougie Hamilton's off the market. I think there's a lot of dominoes that have to happen here. A lot of it involves cap space, and a lot of it involves Zach Hyman. Like, are they going to be able to keep Zach Hyman? And if so, what is the number? There's going to be plenty of teams um, that try to relieve the Toronto Maple Leafs of Zach Hyman. We know that's going to happen. Elliot has speculated about Edmonton before. That makes a whole lot of sense. But there's a, a number of sort of dominoes to fall here. I just don't know whether spending a huge ticket 
on a on a big defenseman like you know last year with Alex Petrangelo or this year with Dougie Hamilton really addresses a key need for the Maple Leafs when the place where they kind of fell down was their offense in the opening round. You mentioned what the issues were against Montreal, and I'm I'm with you. After the big four, you know, you've Tavares go down. After Nylander, Marner, Matthews, what else did you really have? And I know Kerfoot played well at spots, and Engvall looked okay, and Spezza contributed for a fourth line, you know, veteran leadership role. He kind of stepped in and, and did what he did all regular season, but there wasn't a lot. But like you said, that comes down to their cap situation. And, and yeah. are you are you about paying your big guys big money and fill in the spots, or are you about you more about filling those mid-range four, five, six million dollar players? And just get more of them, those mid-tier guys. Well, yeah, that, that that's where you get in trouble, though. Like, look at the Vancouver yeah. Canucks. Like, when you when you start to to overpay your your middle to bottom guys, that's like generally you don't get in trouble when you pay your top dogs. And I know everyone listening to this right now is saying, "Well, hang on a second here. We just saw thirty four and sixteen go through something awful, and how much did that cost?" But uh, but but generally you don't get in trouble when you uh, when you pay your big dogs. Where you get in trouble is where you you overpay. Um, your middle six guys and, and your bottom six guys. The, the the lesson of the salary cap era in the NHL is you don't reward those players for performance. You go find other guys like that because there are plenty of them. And, you know, further to your point, Ziggy, and it's a good one, um, about depth scoring, that's where a play, player like Nick Robertson becomes so valuable for the Maple Leafs. Mm-hmm. Can he be a full-time contributing NHLer starting next season? Because when you start talking about depth down the lineup and production down the lineup to me that's one of the the big question marks here well and they just missed a window right the the second contracts coming out of entry level were just pivoting around the time that all of their big name players were hitting their second contract so they missed that they're they're in they're in the era of dry yeah they missed that window and then they got hooped on the back end by the flattened cap due to covid Oh, right. That, so it's a double bingo. whammy. That a double is a whammy. Great, great point. That is, and listen, no one saw this coming. Obviously, no one budgeted for this. No one planned out for this. Like when you're a when you're a manager in the NHL, I mean, you have like your plan for the season. You have your three year plan, your five year plan. This is what it's going to look like, and this is where we're going to be. And all of that is out the window now. And all of a sudden, for the uh, the the big spending teams. All of a sudden, now they're in a real spot. And the Maple Leafs are one of those teams that are top of that list. Because as much as right now that William Nylander contract looks really good, Austin Matthews is still going to look very expensive in this salary cap for the next four years. Ditto for Mitch Meyer. Like the, I don't know if there's going to come a time where we're going to look at those contracts and say, well, you know what? Yeah, at the time it seemed like a lot, but you look at percentage of cap and where they're at now, and actually those deals kind of worked out just fine. I think we're saying that about Nylander, but with a flat cap, and Elliot has you know, speculated on maybe something along the lines of another five years uh, of a cap remaining in the same range right now, it's going to be tough. And that's where the Maple Leafs, and you see this every year with Dan Milstein's uh, you know, Gold Star group, where they'll shuffle in you know, one high-profile Russian athlete from the KHL, come in at a league minimum, 
Um, sometimes it works uh, and sometimes it doesn't. But I think that's going to be a staple here of the Maple Leafs, shuffling in, you know, one million dollar or you know league minimum guys each and every season because the big dogs uh, have all the money, and that's fine. Like that's kind of the way you should do it in the NHL. You know, when you start to see, you know, three million dollar fourth line players, you say to yourself, "Uh oh, this team is in trouble." What do you do in in net going forward? Do you do you try to lock up Campbell like he's making one point six five next year? Do you do you let him play the year out? Like say he plays like he did this year, mm-hmm. somebody's going to give him seven million dollars next year. Holy this, yeah, crap. I, th- I think you. Uh, yeah. I think that might be a little too much. But I I I, 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 <laughs> I understand your point. I understand your point. Like do you do you lock in now because you know the Lou Lamarillo philosophy of if you have time you take it. Well, that's cost the Maple Leafs. I mean, it cost the Montreal Canadiens with PK Subban. It's cost the mm-hmm. Maple Leafs with with uh, with other players as well. Um and in this game you have to be a, you know, a prospector more than anything else, you know. Let's let's lock in at this number now which may seem too much, but over the course of the contract, uh it seems reasonable. I like Jack Campbell a lot. Like, I think the performance this season, I think the performance in the playoffs at least gives you reason to say we might, we might have a number one net miner. Now, my magic number, Ziggy, has always been 100. And that is how many games do I need to see from a goaltender until I make my mind up about him? You know, let the, I mean, how many, how many times when you were playing, you're like, okay, let's let the shoot, all the shooters have two goes around or maybe mm-hmm. three at a goaltender until you start to figure out, okay, this is what this guy is all about. We're starting to get there now with Jack Campbell and we're going to hit that number next season. I don't do it now, but come next season, that becomes, that becomes one of my, uh, areas of interest. If I'm Kyle mm-hmm. Dubas, I'm saying to myself, we have the potential for a number one netminder here. Someone that's a late bloomer, didn't work in Dallas, didn't work behind Quick in Los Angeles. We may have the guy now. Um, it's in the back of my mind. But if someone falls into your lap uh, in the summer, and listen, they checked the goalie market last uh, last off season. They checked the goalie market during the season. So it's not as if they're completely unaware of this. But right now you have the potential to have a number one. And so far this past season and the playoffs, he's done everything you've asked. Select players will speak to the media at 10.30. Shanahan Dubas Keefe in the 4 o'clock hour. And you can hear all of that live here on Sportsnet 590. The fan, before we uh, let you go, Jeff, is there a... Give us a phrase. Give us a. I thought you. I thought you were gonna. Ju- I thought you're gonna jump all over the. Uh, I, I thought of that one just for you, considering all the noise around Leafland. Mm-hmm. It's always noisiest in the shallow end of the pool. I thought you didn't. I, I like, you'd enjoy that. I like one that today. one. Well, <laughs> a lot of us need some water wings as we're flapping around in the deep end <laughs> right I now. Know. Just try to keep our head above water yeah. in the deep. I know. Yeah. 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 We're taking on water. <laughs> This boat has a hole in the hull. Uh, bigger boat. Yeah. Bigger boat. <laughs> Thanks, pal. Next week, we'll do it. Thanks, Look Scotty. forward to it. Thanks, boys. Uh, Jeff Merrick, one of the hosts of Hockey Central at noon here on Sportsnet 590, the fan from the NHL on Sportsnet and the co-host with Elliot Friedman of 31 Thoughts, the podcast. And Jeff was brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Ken Davidoff is the national baseball columnist for the New York Post. He's around the Mets. He's around the Yankees a lot. He's extremely familiar with the American League East. We'll get his perspective on where the Blue Jays fit in this entire thing. Memo to the Tampa Bay Rays. It's okay to start losing some games at some point soon. I know they did to the Yankees last night, but it was only their second loss in like their last 16. 
Ken Davidoff on the other side. Blue Jays with a big win last night in their air quotes here, home opener in Buffalo. Ziggy, there were some Blue Jays shirts in the mm-hmm. audience. Huh? Love it. A little oh, bit yeah. of a home crowd on the other side of the border. Yeah. Energizing the boys, huh? That's exciting I'm way just, to start. Big for, win. Waiting for you to make some sort of bold announcement that you used your connections at the border crossing to get across and see a game. <laughs> just give the fax machine story oh, from 1999 with Buffalo. We should try to get by for a game one day. Just let's see if we can get across. That's our, what we should do. Be our Blue Jays <laughs> correspondent on the other side of the border. Uh, Ken Davidoff is a friend of the show. He is the uh, national baseball columnist for the New York Post and uh, has some keen insight into the state of the American League East. By the way, the Rays beat the Yankees last night. They're in the middle of a four-game series at Yankee Stadium. So the Jays do gain a game by virtue of their victory on the leaders in the division last night. Ken, good morning. Always good to hear your voice. How are you? Good morning, guys. Just the Yankee beat the Rays last night. I think that's what you meant. Yes, that's, yeah. No, the, the yes. yeah, the, the Jays gained a game on the Rays because the right. Jays won the Rays lost. Did I misspeak? That's entirely you possible. Did. Oh, we're my all, God. All I, I, I misspoke like five seconds before you guys called me. Oh, my it God. <laughs> well, it's too early in the morning for this brain, which is a, which is a problem. Um, <laughs> What what do you make of the American League East as we sit here this morning and where the Jays in their current state fit in it? Yeah, it, it's a fun mess, right? I mean, it's a, it's a really, really fun division. Yeah, obviously, the Orioles have checked out as a standard procedure, but uh, these top four teams, you know, I'm looking now, uh, Rays 35 and 21, Red Sox 32 and 22, Yankees 30 and 25, Jays 28 and 25. Uh, these are four teams with a, a, a ton of talent. And, uh, you know, when you talk about the Jays, how they fit in that, uh, you know, I, I think they're right in the mix. You know, I mean, you, you talked about, uh, you know, just, just what this kid uh, Manila can bring to them. And then, you know, I was actually preparing a little bit for my appearance. I hope that's okay with you guys. Uh, and I'm like, oh, right, they have George Springer. He's played in like four games. So if he ever gets healthy and comes back, what a boost. Yeah, I wanted to get your opinion on that and what you think of this Jays team and the fact they don't have Springer, right? The rotation's been an issue, but Robbie Ray's kind of this new emerging guy that we've seen in the past that has found his game and. His fastball slider last night was was excellent, and obviously Manoa, young kid coming up, we we're getting to see a lot more of him. But how much better? So the Jays are sitting at twenty eight and twenty five right now. What would a guy like Springer do for this Jays team? Yeah, prime George Springer. You're talking about one of the best players in the American League. Yeah, so that would be a quite a boost for for an offense that already is is pretty good uh, without him. Uh, so yeah, they're just, uh, I, I, let's be honest. What, what, what is the late? I haven't been following, but what is the latest in terms of his, his, the latest progress? is that he's taking batting practice on more days than he's not. And he's doing some running and he's okay. with the team. He's with the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and the assumption Ken is that he'll go out on a, a rehab stint whenever, whenever they feel he's ready to play in games. I, I just think they're going to be overly careful this time. Because yeah. the three yeah. and a half games he played, he DH'd and he mm-hmm. he triggered it right. And that was a month yeah. ago. So 
to push yeah. them back further. Yeah, just you know, it, it's easy for to forget, especially for a guy like me. But you know, as you kindly mentioned, I'm, I'm the national baseball writer, but most of my focus is on the two New York clubs. I'm like, oh right, George Springer, the the free agent who earned more money than anybody else has, has essentially been a, a non-entity so far. So when he does, if and when he does come back, again, what a, what a boost that'll be. You mentioned Alec Manoa, and aside from a boost you would get from a guy pitching well, the Jays would also get a boost from somebody like Manoa absorbing one of the two rotation spots that to this point they have struggled to fill. And that has led to overuse of the bullpen, which has led to injuries in some cases. In fact, every consequential reliever the Blue Jays have, Ken, is either on the injured list or has spent time on the injured list at some point this season. And we've seen some late-game meltdowns over the last two, two and a half weeks, games the Jays could have won, and their win-loss based on run differential should be better than the 28 and 25 where they sit. The Yankees are a team right now through injury and through underperformance in other areas whose offense hasn't really put it together yet. They've got Garrett Cole at the top of their rotation, and then I don't want to say they backfill. They've got some good young arms, but Cole's clearly the guy, and then after that, it's it's negotiable. How far do you think this game has gone in terms of the way it views pitching, and is this pendulum going to swing back to where true starting pitching is prioritized greater than it seems to be once again? That's a really great, insightful question. And uh, gosh, I, I'm, I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical. You know, if, you, if we're talking about the general pendulum of will, will we get more offense back in the game, I do think that will happen. I just think there's, gonna, there's a natural order where things kind of you know, go to and fro. But if you're asking me, like, are we going to get back to the point where it's standard for a pitcher to go seven innings? I think because that's what you're asking me. Uh, I'm I'm skeptical we're going to get to that point because of, uh, you know, again, it, there's the, the analytics. Uh, these teams are trying to win games. They're not necessarily trying to entertain the fans, you know. They're, they're hoping that the wins are the entertainment. And clearly uh, there's a, a significant segment of fans uh, that don't like the way the game is being played, you know, and the team has essentially said, sorry, but, you know, we, we need to try to win these games. And the best way to win these games, by and large, is to have a stable of, of hard-throwing arms uh, and with the philosophy, go as long as you can for as hard as you can, as opposed to the old philosophy of, you know, it's, it's a marathon out there for the starting pitch, you know, try to, try to navigate your way through seven, eight, nine innings. That's really no longer the case. Uh, and I'm not sure what would have to happen uh, to change that. And of course, now that I'm talking, there is that one experimental rule they're talking about where you start the game with a DH, right? But if, if the minute you lift your starting pitcher, then the pitcher hits the rest of the game, okay. that would be an interesting incentive to keep your starting pitcher in the game. Well, no question about it. Because what I'm wondering is, is bullpen attrition. And, and the, mm -hmm. this is not specific to the Blue Jays. It's across baseball. But it's one thing to have a guy who can throw 98 or 100, and it's another thing to have a guy who can throw 98 or 100, and most of the time he has absolutely no idea where it's going. 
And and mm-hmm. so there are only so many arms who can throw hard and throw it consistently well. And it feels sometimes, Ken, from start to finish in a baseball season, and maybe this has always been true, but specific with relief arms now, it feels like it's it's a race to see who suffers the least amount of attrition. Um, you know, like I said, the Blue Jays over the last two, two and a half weeks, they're 28 and 25. And I'm now in trouble because I'm going to try and do math live on the air. Um, but you could make the argument that they'd be a, a 30 and 23 team, a 31 and 22 team right now without some of the attrition-related meltdowns, low-leverage guys asked to perform in high-leverage situations, guys who were not capable of coming through and didn't. And that's the difference sometimes for teams like the Blue Jays on the come-up. I hear what you're saying. I would flip it a little bit, and I, you mentioned it earlier. I, I think the key to the Blue Jays' problem has been the back end of their starting rotation, right? Uh, which is why Manoa could be such a, a big addition, uh, because then that a cre- cre- excuse me that creates that attrition. Like the Yankees, uh, for all their problems, their starting pitching has been pretty good. You know, their starting pitching has given them length, twenty twenty one length, which means five innings. You know, and then and then they have the arms to get through those those four innings, uh, and they haven't suffered much attrition in terms of bullpen injuries. Uh, Darren O'Day is, is hurt. I, that's probably their most significant. I mean, Zach Britton got hurt in spring training. He's, he's on his way back. Uh, so I think that's the key to avoiding that bullpen attrition is at least getting those 15 outs night after night after night. And then, you know, the Yankees have Cole, who will give you seven. You know, the Blue Jays have Ryu, who, who will give you uh, more than five. Uh, to me, that's the key to avoiding that. Steven Matz, ex-Met, great start this year with the Jays, started off 4-0 and then kind of went through a little bit of a lull. What do you think we'll see out of him the rest of the year, the 2018-19 or the 2020 Steven Matz? Oh, can I have both? <laughs> <laughs> That's the beauty of Steven. Steven is, uh, I mean, he's, he's been in a roller coaster his whole career. You know, he came up in 2015. It was a small sample because he quickly got hurt. But if you look at his 2015 numbers, the Mets thought they had, you know, number two. Uh, And and then at a time when they had a rotation full of ones and twos. And then, yeah, you go to 2018-19, where even though the the stats aren't that pretty, that guy has some value, right? I mean, he he posted, he he kept his team in games. 2020 was was a fiasco, and that's the reason he's a Blue Jay now. Uh, and I know there's been points this year where he looked like 2015 match and points where he looked like 2020. I think at the end of the day, if you wind up with 2018-2019 match, it's a win for the Jays. With Ken Davidoff, a national baseball columnist for the New York Post on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. So th- this I'm putting you on the spot, and we didn't, we didn't talk about this in advance. So if the answer is simply no, I apologize. But Lou Gehrig died 80 years ago today. Uh, June the 2nd, 1941 of ALS. And Major League Baseball is declaring this Lou Gehrig Day, and they are raising awareness, raising money in the fight against this this horrible, horrible illness. I'm wanting, wondering, Ken, I mean, you've been around a while now, and I would imagine you would have, especially in your earlier days on the beat, bumped into people 
uh, who were older, who would have known Lou. Um, if that's the case, what did they share with you about him? If, if you've talked to anybody who actually knew Lou Gehrig, what, what did they tell you about the man? That is a bold strategy to ask me that question. Uh, if the answer is no, I never. If I never talked, yeah, because I, 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 I just, I just threw it out there just in case. Yeah, because I, you know, I started covering baseball in 1995, so which you know definitely makes me old, but that also means I was 54 years after Lou died. So right. I, I'm not. I'm just wondering if you bumped into an yeah. 85-year-old ex-teammate or something who might have back in the day who might have who might have had a story or two. I was I, mean, I was I hoping for the story. Yeah, that was a big swing, big swing. Uh, I mean, I shared an elevator with Mr. DiMaggio one time. Uh, back in my early days, but uh, he was not the most loquacious sort, uh, <laughs> particularly in his in his older years. And who was the uh, Frank uh, Frank Crescetti, right? Yeah, he was. He he used to pop by the Yankees because uh, he lived in Northern California. So like when I first started, he would come in when the Yankees weren't Oakland, like come into the clubhouse and joke around. But uh, unfortunately, yeah. So those are two two of Lou's teammates who I did meet. Uh, but unfortunately for, for me and for this show right now, I never really got to engage either of them about Mr. Garrett. Uh, and before we let you go, um, put a little predictor hat on. How do you see the top four in the AL East shaking out? Well, I'm a guy who always sticks to his preseason uh, predictions, uh, and I had it Yankees, Jays, Rays, Red Sox. Uh, so I have to stick with that. You know, to me, it's a character test. You have to stick with your predictions. Uh, obviously, uh, <laughs> right now it's a little jumbled there. I mean, the Red Sox have been remarkable. Alex Cora is just a ridiculously good manager. Uh, the Rays are, are, are sick. Uh, but I, I remain curious about how the Rays will handle a 162-game marathon uh, you know, with, with the way they, they manage the games. You know, when we talk about bullpen attrition. Uh, so I, I will stick with Yankees, Jays, Red Sox. I'm sorry, Yankees, Jays, Rays, Red Sox. Well, you know, you know, Ken, the Rays have somebody named Peter Willis or somebody at single A right now who none of us have ever heard of <laughs> who's going to manage to come up in mid-August and will close games and pitch in the highest leverage situations and, 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 and just clean house. Like that, that I, 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 there's an there's a even deeper dive than has ever been done into what make the Tampa Bay Rays tick, and I'm down to listen to that story someday. They're, I don't know, man. <laughs> they, they just figure it out. Um, they really do. We appreciate your time this morning. Sorry to put you on the spot about Gary, but I took a chance. I took a chance. You took a chance. Yeah, I mean, no, I, I don't need to, I, I have to apologize to you. I mean, now I, I wish I could go back in time and just grab DiMaggio by the lapels and say, tell me about Gary. Because in 2021, I'm going to be asked about him. Well, you should have just slammed the table at Dinky Donuts. He's a... <laughs> <laughs> There's always time for a Seinfeld reference. Uh, thanks, uh, pal. Uh, let's do this again uh, sometime soon. We always uh, appreciate the insight. All right. Take care, guys. At Ken Davidoff, the uh, national baseball columnist for the New York Post. Uh, Kramer. Uh, Dinky Donuts slamming the table. I love it. I love it. Joe DiMaggio, not distracted. He's a dunker. He's a He's dunker. A dunker. I think of, <laughs> think of Kramer. He, he decked. Who did he deck at the fantasy camp? Was it Mickey Mantle? <laughs> I don't he decked that. Mickey Mantle at the fantasy camp. 
He saw Joe DiMaggio Dunkin' Donuts. It's it's a scene, man. It's a scene. <laughs> I Nothing don't, better, I don't... though, than George railroading Bette Midler at, at the celebrity <laughs> softball game, just putting his shoulder into her <laughs> collision at home plate. Oh, gosh. Oh, my God. Uh, four of the biggest idiots in the world on that Seinfeld show, and that's, that's why we love it. Uh, Ed Denver coming up. We'll get back into the uh, Maple Leaf situation. Kyle Dubas will address the media uh, along with Brendan Shanahan, Sheldon Keefe at 4 o'clock this afternoon. Players will talk at 10.30 this morning. You'll hear it all day here on Sportsnet 590, the fan, and get the reaction. Adnan Verk, what is the one question you would ask Kyle Dubas? Here's what we're talking about this morning on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. Uh, I'll just repeat it. Kyle Dubas, Brendan Shanahan, Sheldon Keefe, 4 o'clock this afternoon. They meet with the media. You can hear it right here on Sportsnet 590, the fan. And in a little more than two hours at 1030, select Maple Leafs players uh, will meet with the media. And you will hear that on Sportsnet 590, the fan. Blue Jays in their Buffalo opener beat the Marlins 5-1. to one. Robbie Ray, his third win of the season. The big story, though, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., 4-4 four four with a three-run home run, three RBI. He's hitting 337 with an OPS of better than 1,100. Dude is in the MVP conversation legitimately at this point. Tampa Bay, a 2-1 win in the Stanley Cup playoffs at Carolina. The Bolts have a two games to none series lead on Carolina with that series shifting back to Tampa Bay and in the NBA last night Brooklyn eliminated the Boston Celtics Denver with a 147-140 win over Portland to take a three games to two series lead in that one Dame Lillard 12 three-pointers in the loss and the uh, Phoenix Suns hammered the LA Lakers 115-85 Looks like the Lakers' depth is uh, suffering uh, with Anthony Davis on the fritz. All right, here he is, Adnan Verk from the NHL Network, MLB Network, and the GM Shuffle podcast. Good morning, Adnan. You are on the Zoom call with Kyle Dubas, who's been <laughs> injected with truth serum so he can not lie. What is the one question you would ask the Maple Leafs GM? I would say to him, Kyle, the way you built this team is you invested more than $40 million in your top four forwards. You clearly focused on top-end talent. What do you have to say for yourself now, seeing that this team has been unable to overcome past playoff demons? And he would say, listen, they're all great players. John Tavares got hurt. We still think Austin Matthews is great. We love Mitch Marner. We love Shane Lennon, blah, blah, blah. But my point is, other teams build teams differently. And you chose, Kyle, to choose, you know, to stick with skill and scoring and individuality. And in a lot of ways, I appreciate that. I, it's very uh, certainly um, fan-friendly. I mean, who doesn't want to see exciting offensive players? But when push comes to shove, your guys have been getting shoved around. And do you now perhaps look back and say, we should have focused more on building the team from the net out, right? Look at Lou Lamorello. It's always about strong defense, four lines, pretty interchangeable. You know, not much flash up front, but they get it done. Certainly not fan-friendly, boring, industrious, but successful. And ultimately, you want to be successful. I don't know if I'd have the stones to actually mention Lemurel to Kyle. I wouldn't want to be a jerk about it. But three years and three first-round exits later, it's maddening. And this one is particularly galling because their talent was so strong. Everyone knows Toronto's loaded. Everyone knows they're a favorite to win decisively. 
You can't lose the Habs. Are you kidding? In this first-round series, you blow a 3-1 lead? Inexcusable. I know you guys have done it ad nauseum. I'm not saying anything new here, but I think the construction of the team is certainly under scrutiny. What's the first move you would you would make? So I, I'm going to have to look to try to flip one of those guys because, listen, it just hasn't worked. So I think Austin Matthews isn't going anywhere. Okay, obviously. Mm-hmm. I, I think after that, I start to just – I call people and go, all right, what, what do you got? Uh, let, let's make a deal. What, what would you give me if I trade you Martin, if I trade you Nylander, if I trade you Tavares? And just start seeing what's out there. And all of a sudden, you, you got to rebuild this team and try to get some more defense. And I think goaltending. I mean, listen, no one's going to blame Jack Campbell. I thought he acquitted himself well. There's no question about that. But the point is, when you're facing a team, no one's going to say, man, as long as we can beat Jack Campbell, we're going to be okay. You know, they got stymied by a great goaltender in Carey Price, who was very average in the regular season, 901 save percentage. All of a sudden, he kicks it up to 931, and it was 941, I think, in the last three games. So, listen, we all know with um, the goaltending situation, the fact that Freddie Anderson's a UFA, you have to make a decision on Freddie. I think he probably moves on with Campbell. I don't think he's your guy long term. So I would say, listen, I've got a few big names available. What can you do? Let's get a goalie, a big defenseman. Let's reconstruct this team. Let's focus on the back end. Because when goals start to become at a paucity in the playoffs, my guys are unable to score. So it's kind of like baseball. Well, if we can't score, let's worry about run prevention, right? Rather than just run scoring, because my guys haven't been able to score, I'll worry about run prevention and put a little less pressure on my guys. With that and Verk, Brandon Pridham is the assistant GM to Kyle Dubas, and he was working in the league office when the salary cap was constructed so he's an expert in that area Uh, the problem is that uh, brandon like everybody else on this planet couldn't have predicted a global pandemic and the effects that that would have on in this case the national hockey league and its salary cap and so you know when matthews and marner and Nylander and Tavares got their money. Kyle Dubas is looking at that going, well, I'm paying these guys $40 million bucks, and it's it's going to tighten things up this year and maybe next. But four or five years from now, we're going to be north of 90, maybe pushing 100 on this salary cap. And you got new U.S. TV money coming in here in the not-too-distant future as well. Well, that ain't happening, Adnan. So yeah. they've actually – this might be an over uh, – use of this term or not an overuse but it, it might be too harsh a term they're actually kind of paralyzed by circumstance and that's an excuse that no leafs fan wants to hear but i do believe there's a rational conversation to be had on that point they're paralyzed by moves that they've made assuming things that haven't come to fruition i.e a cap moving up yeah totally fair scotty to say that they're paralyzed now by those situations which were unforeseen and beyond their control but I think what Leafs fans will get frustrated by is if they're paralyzed by indecision. Like now is the time to act swiftly. Like if you look at this team in the fall and it looks the exact same with maybe a couple of cosmetic changes, people are going to be enraged. Like at this point, you've got to do something major. You've got to do something decisive. You've got to do something to shake up the nucleus because you can't have three straight years with these kind of playoff flops on your ledger, period. But I completely agree with you. We saw that in the NFL. Michael Lombardi and I were talking about that a lot with the GM Shuffle. Look at a team like the Rams putting all their chips in. Again, they've got top-tier, very expensive talent. And then after that, McVay's such a good coach. They try to just plug the holes and figure it out. But they're trying to win now. Make no mistake. And if things don't work out in the immediate future, the Rams are in trouble. Similar situation there with the Maple Leafs. Do you think the Leafs are entering that moment that the Raptors were when Masai was dealing with um, DeMar and and Dwayne Casey where it was like, okay, this isn't working out. I need to do something massive here. 
all because I can't just keep watching this. Or the, our fan base isn't just going to keep putting up with it. Are they at that point? I think so, Ziggy. I mean, God, I, I couldn't imagine much more worse than this. I mean, 42 years since you faced your mortal rivals, the Montreal Canadiens in the playoffs, and all of a sudden you have a 3-1 lead and you gag on that and, and you lose that kind of a lead. And you do so in such an embarrassing manner, right? Like, it's it's one thing if you're losing, but you can't even score any runs. Like, I mean, sorry, score any goals. I mean, that's, that's what's so frustrating for this team. Like I said, that's where I think it's such a pivotal moment because if you don't do anything, people say – What's going on? Like, you know, it's like um, Einstein, the, the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over and getting the same result. I do think that's a fair comparison to say it's kind of like the Raptors and that make that gigantic move. Listen, Masai swung for the fences and got Kawhi for one year. And everyone said, oh, my God, what a terrible move. He's going to be gone in a year. Everyone knows he wants to go to L.A. Oh, but listen, we, we just won a championship. Fine. Now go to L.A. It's all good. So uh, I think that's a fair comparison, Ziggy. Matthews ain't going anywhere. Tavares is on a no move and Nylander at 6-9 is pretty good value even though there's occasional disengagement over the course of the season. Hey, we can ask your son what he thinks of this. Story. I was about to say, I knew I'm we were going to get in trouble. Here. I'm, I'm down for that. <laughs> he, just, he just had to be a part of the conversation. Yeah, at, at, no, this, I, at, this point, that, at this point, I'm down for uh, any recommendations on what this hockey team should do. But, but So that leaves Marner. Yeah, like and, and that, that's no. You're totally right, Scotty. That's the problem. Up, right? Do you give yeah. up on such a talent? I mean, that's that's the difficult thing. But he's paid a lot of money. Yeah, and th and, and that's the problem, Scotty. Eventually, you end up saying, "Listen, you got to give something to get something." Right? Life's a negotiation. It's give and take. You know, the the best trades are the trades where both sides go. Mm. I'm not 100% sure on this. I feel like we're giving up too much, but I just had to get this guy. Those are the best trades. And make no mistake, that's what's going to happen for the Leafs as they trade Mitch Martin. They're not going to say, oh, this guy's overrated. He's a bust. Um, we think his best days are behind him. No, they're going to go, this may haunt us, but we've got to make a move here. And as you clearly pointed out, they've only got so many decisions to make. Well, the, so you say, all right, he's the one to do. The only way to make it work if if you go down that path is is there has to be move two and move three, the domino effect that follows. So if I free up money by moving a Marner, then I, I backfill with a, a, an ace defenseman and a Dougie Hamilton, and I, I, I finally go and get that seven or eight million dollar a year stud D man, and I work around the edges with the money left over, to try to replace part of the offense you'll lose with Mitch Marner because you'll never replace it fully. Exactly, and that's why my thing, again, I draw it to baseball, just like, hey, the New York Yankees offense slumps. They don't say, okay, we need to get more offense, like Gary Sanchez and Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton struck out a billion times against the Ashes in the playoffs. Okay, let's go get a more offensive player. No, 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 you say, hey, that happens. We just struggled with runners in scoring position, but let's go and get Garrett Cole. Let's get the best pitcher in baseball, and that will help our run prevention take pressure off the hitters. Same thing in hockey, I think. All right, that quartet couldn't get it done. Who's the piece that's most movable? It's Marner, as you said. All right, go get the stud defenseman and pick up the pieces. And just like you do with the offense, you kind of plugged holes with the fourth liners and said, all right, let's get Wayne Simmons and Spezza and Thornton, and we'll pay our top-end talent. Same thing here. You trade Marner, get a great defenseman, build that way. Something that not a lot of people have been talking about is – I feel like there's been no credit given to the Montreal Canadiens and <laughs> specifically because you, we haven't heard it at all, right? Like it's been very little attention to the Canadians, the Habs. And a lot of people are saying, well, Price didn't beat them. I thought P Price was their best player. And 
I thought without him, they don't win. And I'm not saying that he made all these incredible saves or just, you know, dying seconds or should be wins where Carey Price bailed them out. But as a player, I know that's in a lot of the Leafs heads when they're going in on a guy like that. And they're like, I can't beat him from this spot. So I might as well not even try. And it's almost like it just manifested and it affected a lot. It affected Matthews and Marner for sure. If not other guys on the team. I totally agree, Ziggy. Listen, I, I'm watching that game seven, and like I'm tweeting out, going like, "Man, pretty blah first period. Like it was a very bland first period. Not yeah. a whole lot going on." But that was kind of it was almost Montreal's mo. Like they're not flashy and exciting, very anti-Toronto in that respect. And what about Carey Price stood out was this isn't like Dominic Hasek standing on his head stoning this team, which is you know peppering him with 50 shots. It was as you're pointing out, just kind of solid, stout, reliable. Right, make the mm-hmm. saves you have to make. And it's almost as if the players were gun-shy about making too many risky plays because they knew Carey Price was standing there. And it's a great story. I mean, I, I remember talking with Brian Lawton and Kevin Weeks, our NHL Network analyst, and it's what happened to Carey Price. Like, this was a deep dive we were doing in March. You know, he just got old now. Uh, it's a bad contract. What's Montreal going to do? Like, this happens. Like, for him to go from being long in the tooth, and again, a 900 save percentage is awfully mediocre in today's NHL. To be able to ratchet that up 30 points in the playoffs against the Maple Leafs, it's an example of what a, a great player he is. He obviously has lots of great accolades along the way. I know I don't know where this one stands. Fine, it's just a first-round playoff victory. But the fact that, again, that solid reliability, again, it points to what Toronto does not have. Like, again, I'm not blaming Jack Campbell. I'm just saying when you have a great goaltender like that who can rise to the occasion, it, it lifts the burden of so many other people. It eases the pressures of so many others. And... Alex Faust, who was calling the game on CNBC here in the States at the line, Montreal was not losing the, the, with the suit that Mark Bergerman was wearing. I, I think that's what it comes down to. <laughs> it's not just Carey Price. That suit is unbelievable. His flow is unreal. Like, I love everything about that man's look. Are we, we going to come back in a different reality one day as Mark Bergerman's? We will lord over the world. The, the lens on the camera would just crack <laughs> if you wore... A Mark Bergevin suit. <laughs> you'd also you, you'd also have to wear it like two sizes too tight too. Just have the those broad shoulders and those biceps just pulsating out of like, that. Sc- Scotty, it's, it's the no, it's the equivalent of go big or go home, right? Like I love that look. I go, oh my god, but you're right. I, I would be a calamitous failure if I tried to do it. Be like, who is the short, lumpy guy trying to wear the suit that's too tight? Wait, short, god, it's so guy. loud. Right, but 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 I love the like when I see it, I go, oh my god, I wish I could do that. Well, why don't you do that? Um, because I'm not Mark Berger, man. That's right. a simple answer. Right, I, I could, I could stuff that. my suit jacket with pillows and we'll see what it looks like. Uh, with Adnan Verk, something to chew on. Brought to you by Great Canadian Meat. If the season ended today, that's your favorite question, right? If the I love season it. Yeah. Ended I love today, this in June. <laughs> the Blue Jays would not be in the playoffs, which always seems to affect the voting. Is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. your American League MVP? Absolutely, Scotty. And you're right. It affects the voting. Everyone says, no, it doesn't. But listen... If Andre Dawson can win MVP in the last place, 87 Cubs team, people still talk about it, then it is an issue sometimes. 
listen, if you asked me a month ago, I would have said Otani, Otani, Otani. What he's doing is remarkable. This guy's pitching at a high level. He's hitting at a high level. We just haven't seen this before. It's Ruthian, et cetera. But he's on an awful team as well. The Angels aren't going anywhere. You could have made a case for Trout that he got hurt for six to eight weeks. He was the only guy whose offensive numbers were measurable with Vlad Jr. in terms of OPS, specifically on base plus slugging. But now it's Vlad. He stands head and above them all. I mean, he's got 17 home runs. Whether it's Dunedin or now Salem Field in Buffalo, he's going to rake. I think he's just been remarkable what he's done. And if you want to get really nerdy, if you look at like his batted ball percentage, quite simply, the more, you know, excuse me, his barrel percentage, the more balls that he's barreling up, he's doing so at like a six or 7% rate, which is higher from a year ago. That's pretty strong. His chase percentage in terms of not swinging at bad pitches, that's gone down 6%. He strikes out less, he makes more contact, and he's doing more damage when he does it. He's leading in home runs. He's carrying a Jays offense, which is without George Springer, and which, you know, we're still waiting for them to really get up to speed. I don't know they're top five right now in runs, but Vlad's been the biggest part of that. I couldn't even imagine where Toronto would be around a 500 team where they would be without Vladimir Guerrero Jr. The season ends now. He's my MVP. Uh, this weird timing for this, but I'm, I'm all over the map today. Aaron Rodgers. Is he a Green Bay Packer in week one? I was about to say in training camp, but <laughs> I'm hedging again. Week one, is he playing for the Packers? Ultimately, yes. I don't deny he's upset. I don't deny he's drawing this line in the sand with conviction, but I think ultimately Green Bay is not going to blink. They cannot trade a cornerstone player of his size who's coming off an MVP campaign. This is not Duquette calling Roger Clemens in the twilight of his career, and then he goes out and wins two Cy Youngs of the Blue Jays. This is a guy still very much at the apex of his career. I don't think they're going to fire Goonquince. I think they're going to give Rodgers more money. They're going to smooth things over with money and whatever, a little bit of player control. Aaron, let's have a conversation. Hey, you want us to draft this guy? Sure, make a trade for this guy, whatever. They'll figure it out. Ultimately, though, they're not going to move him. And Aaron Rodgers still wants to play football. I think he's going to be in Green Bay. Gesundheit. <laughs> Nothing better than Michael and Barney trying to pronounce Gunquin's name. It's, it's pretty close to Gesundheit. Oh, like, just, just get rid of Gesundheit. Like, what's the big deal here? I'll tell you right now, I could tie my shoelaces together on both my shoes and, and, and I'd look more coordinated than trying to get that. I was thinking he can tell you, I tried it once. And yeah, was, I was, it was good Kunst. It was good Kunst. It was, it was this and that. And the other thing, pal. Yeah. Budapest. He's great. Excellent. I'm hungry. Uh, good to chat. We'll do it next week. Always fun. Thanks, Scotty. Thanks, Ziggy. And Ann Verk of the NHL network, MLB network, the GM shuffle podcast with Michael Lombardi. And uh, if you're a movie buff, Adnan's podcast, the cinephile pod is a can't miss. Dan Schulman is the play-by-play -play voice of the Toronto Blue Jays on Sportsnet. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. lights up Buffalo as the Jays beat the Marlins in their buff opener. There were actually some Blue Jays fans in the stands. We'll talk to Dan coming up. Like it's been really hit miss lately to get some Blue Jays baseball in with all the bad weather, and then they play double headers. There was an off day on Monday. Marlins last night, Marlins tonight, off day tomorrow. And it's uh, Alec Manoa, episode 2.0. I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm more excited for this game than the first. So much fun. Yeah, because you want to see I'll how he follows up.
Well, yeah, I just uh, more often than not, a guy gets called up and you have the adrenaline, you have the excitement. And I'm sure pitching is different than anything in any other sport at any position. But usually that adrenaline can push you through a first game. It's the follow-up, right? It's okay. You feel good. Now you're part of the team. Now you're traveling. You're 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 in the big leagues. How how do you handle the pressure now? You know, what what happens when you walk? I want to say what happens when you walk your first batter, but he did that already and got by and got by that. But what happens when you load the bases? Like, what, what are you made of now? That's what we're going to be looking for, right? Dan Schulman is uh, with us, the play-by-play voice of the Toronto Blue Jays on Sportsnet. Alec Manoa, episode 2.0. Can't wait. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I think a, a lot of people are going to be watching. You know, had uh, had the Maple Leafs won tonight, of course, they'd be playing hockey, but especially with the Leafs out, I think a lot of people are going to turn their eyes to the Blue Jays uh, for the first time. You know, a lot of people obviously have been on board, but there are some who haven't paid as much attention, and uh, I think they'll they'll enjoy what they see. It, it's, you know, the Marlins are not a great team, and Manoa's got, you got to figure he's got a lot of confidence, and, and I don't know if we can expect, what was it, six scoreless innings, I think, like, like he had last time but um you know like you were saying Ziggy you, you know he'll he'll step in it at some point everybody does nobody goes through a career without having to deal with some stuff and then you know you you rely on your process and your catcher and your pitching coach and your history and and you and you just drive through it and, and like we talked about last week he seems to be that kind of a guy he is unbelievably confident I, I don't think he's got a nervous bone in his body we don't have to know the answers to questions come August sitting here on June the 2nd, right? But as we observe this, Dan, my assumption is that if he shows he can do it, Alec Manoa, roll him out there every fifth day. Just oh. just keep it. D- no, Don't keep the leash too tight. Let him roll. Absolutely. Uh 200%. <laughs> I mean, on on both sides of, of the coin, on one side, they need him. Like, they don't have many other options right now. They've tried other guys. Some guys have gotten hurt. So they absolutely need him. So, yeah, if he does well, um, he is in there. And, and what I found most interesting, actually, going back to his starts with Buffalo, is that he went six innings all three starts and, and built up to 94 pitches. They don't appear to be very concerned about the number of pitches or innings that he throws. And I'm not saying they should be. I'm just saying, you know, this is an era in which everybody's concerned about everything and players are dropping like flies. But based on the fact that he pitched uh, over 100 innings at West Virginia two years ago and then 17 innings in Vancouver and whatever he did at the alt site last year and the fact that he's, you know, he's a big horse, um, they don't seem concerned about it. So, yeah, I think they're going to roll him out there and let him get 90 to 100 pitches in there time after time after time. And as, as, as long as he does well, he's going to be a mainstay in the rotation. So the Jays back at Salem Field, and there's even more upgrades than they had last year. And from the sounds of it, players are more comfortable there. What does that do for the team? Like, what's the difference between there and, and Dunedin for, for guys in the major leagues? So it, it, it's a, we're at a little bit of a disadvantage because obviously, you know, I wasn't on the ground in either one. So I'm going by the video and the pictures and the stuff that we're all seeing. But I, I think one of the biggest advantages, to be honest with you, is they had a home crowd last night. The fans were cheering for them. When they were down in Dunedin, it, when they played the Yankees, Yankees are in Tampa, Yankee crowd. Phillies are in Clearwater, Philly crowd. Rays are in Florida, 
Rays crowd. Atlanta fans are everywhere in the Southeast. Braves crowd. That's tough. Um, you know, I, I think it's one thing to put up with or, or to try to, you know, handle um, uh, A-ball level facilities, but then when the crowd's not even cheering for you. So, listen, this is all a tiny little blip in the in the scope of a global pandemic, obviously, but within the professional baseball world, they've had to deal with stuff that nobody else has had to deal with. And, and the, the upgrades last year looked good. This year looked great. Um, from what I saw, and and I think having the fans cheering for them is huge. And uh, after Vladdy hit the home run, I rewound it, not to look at the swing again, although that was fun, but to listen for the crowd again because I wasn't really paying attention watching last night to the to the crowd. But I rewound it and listened, and it sounded it clearly were blue, you know, a Blue Jay crowd. Now when the Yankees come in, that might be different just for that one series. But Marlins, Astros. You know the teams they're playing this week. It, it, it's going to be their it's going to be their fans, yeah. and, and I think that's big. Man, was it annoying seeing Rays fans show up in Dunedin in <laughs> larger know. numbers than they show up to the Trop? I know. Like, what was that? You I know. know, I know. But anyway, uh, they're. It feels like Dan. They're on this little Oregon Trail style venture home. Oh, just get you know they've horse and buggied it all the way up to Buffalo, and eventually, yep. eventually they'll get across the border and and hopefully uh, close out the season at Rogers Center whenever it's appropriate to do so. Um, you know, Shohei Otani is a special player. There's there's no question about it. And he is doing things because of his ability to pitch that haven't been seen in a century. That said, is he the American League MVP as we sit here today, or is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. the American League MVP as we sit here today and a caveat applies to both, which is that neither would be on a playoff team if the season ended today. Right. I think right now it's Otani, but I think it's way too soon to tell. And, and I think a big part of this, obviously, can each of them sustain their pace? You know, Otani is so unique and special and it's never been done before in over a hundred years and so on. So, um, but if, if Vladdy has these numbers over 162, and, and even if the Blue Jays are in the hunt for a playoff spot late, then I, I think he's got a chance to overtake him. But we we got 105, 108, whatever it is, games um, left to go. I, I've always felt that, yes, you want to give it a, um, a little bit of a, an advantage to a, a guy on a team that makes the playoffs. But I think even if you're a guy on a team that's competing for a playoff spot and you don't get in, but you're a superstar – that shouldn't be held against you because, um, you know, if you're two games out of a playoff spot in mid-September, that game is just as important as if you're safely in a playoff spot, maybe more important. So if you're helping your team stay in a playoff race, then I, I think you deserve a little bit of a boost for that. But more and more, I think as we go forward, analytics are, are determining who wins the awards. And, and at the end of the day, some people might just look at war and say, well, Vladdy was 6.7 and Otani was 7.5, and so I'm going to vote for Otani. And, and I, I think there needs to be a little bit more nuance to it than that, but uh, it, it's still wide open. But, it, it, like, how crazy is it if we had talked two and a half months ago and you had said to me you were going to ask me a, a question about Guerrero winning the MVP in early June? Like, I, I'm not sure we'd have been able to, to mentally get ourselves there in, in, in that conversation. But he's incredible. Um, uh, you know, and he hit great in Buffalo last year. Let's see what he does this year. And, and he's... He's definitely in the conversation. And I love nothing more than hearing Guerrero's taking the overall lead in home runs with 17. And then 20 minutes later, Acuna has tied him at, at 17. You know, I, I think watching Guerrero and Acuna and Tatis and Soto for the next 15 years is going to be some of the best stuff about baseball. Those four guys are unbelievable. Well, there were some people, Dan, on this station 
and I won't name names, me, who were <laughs> suggesting that maybe, just maybe, you could package Vladdy for that next big arm or whatever you were after. And Tim Leeper would always say to me, ah, Vlad's going to win the MVP this year. And I'd be like, okay, all right. It's it, I, I could see him winning an MVP one day, but it's tough to go from zero to 100. Yeah. Well, I'm uh, I'm shut up by well, this I, point. I got a scary question, a crazy question for you. What if this isn't 100? What if this is 85? And, <laughs> and maybe that's ridiculous to say that. But what if he goes home for another winter and says, wow, look at all the work I did and look at how it helped me. Um, I'm going to do it again and get, and get to get to another level. And, and I think defensively he's come a long way. Oh yeah. Um, but I think there's I think there's even more in there defensively. Um, the base run, like the first to third play, and he was running on the pitch. But again, just the fact that he he got far enough towards second, he turned, he saw the throw behind him, he got and he had enough speed to get to third and and slid in and slid in safely. Um, and, and again, he's only 22. Most guys are better at 24, 25, 26 than they are at 22. So I'm not getting greedy. Like this is off the charts what he is doing right now. But what if what if there's a little bit more in there that's going to come out over the next few years? Who knows? Yeah, and all those mini slumps, they just he seems to get out of them. I think that's that's the yeah. most impressive thing for me. Like what was he two hits over the last five games prior to the last night, and he finds a way to climb out of them. I just once he's. Like I, I, as an athlete, you enter those mini slumps. Those, that's the hardest part of your season is getting out of yeah. that situation, right? Yeah, and I think the the most impressive thing about him is clearly his talent. Like he was just yeah. blessed with with things that other people don't have. But I don't think he gets enough credit um, for his approach and his maturity at the plate this year because um, he's much more selective, way more selective. He's not afraid to hit with two strikes. But every now and again, he'll ambush you on the first pitch. I, I after the home run last night, I looked it up. He's twenty one for forty one with four homers when he swings at the first pitch. So sometimes he goes up there saying. I got a feeling I know what's coming. And sometimes he says, I want to look at a couple of pitches. And you can see him taking all the way, and he kind of nods or he kind of smiles. Um, and last year, I think he tried to get big too much and pull everything and hit a home run on every pitch. And now, if they throw him a nasty fastball just off the outside corner, he's going to line it to right field. Um, and, and he's not going to try to pull everything. He'll hit a bullet to right center field. And I think his understanding of situations, both within games and within at-bats, in that battle with the pitcher, has improved by leaps and bounds. And, and when he was coming up through the minors, we always heard about this, he can control the strike zone. We heard that a lot, and we didn't see it a lot the last two years, but, but now we're seeing it. And um, it, he deserves as much credit for what he's doing mentally as what he's doing physically. With Dan Schulman on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. So I will confess that I watch far more Blue Jays baseball than I do any other team. So it seems like it happens to the Blue Jays a lot more than it happens to other teams. And I don't know if that's factual or if it's just based on my viewing habits. But my shoulder slumps. Now, they won 5-1 to one last night. I get it. That's a shutout last night. If Lourdes Goriel Jr. makes a catch on a very playable, not the easiest ball in the world, but a very playable ball in left field. And Dan, these are the little things, didn't matter last night, but over the course of the season, the little fundamentally type things that the Rays do so well and that other teams are still doing better than the Blue Jays. Um, well, I would say the Blue Jays are, are a better, a significantly better fundamental team this year than they were last year. Overall, defensively, they were 
worst or second worst in baseball last year. They were really bad in April when Bichette and Biggio were having the struggles that they've had. But I, I would say since late April, early May, they've been much better. Not great, but much better, like an average defensive team, um, I, I would say. You know, Grichik has been really good out there. Simeon, obviously, is a stabilizer defensively. Bichette's gotten better. Vladdy's doing well. Teoscar's had one or two snorfs here and there, but for the most part, he's been fine. Uh, Guriel, to me, is, is a bit of an issue defensively. The, the, the interesting thing is he was a Gold Glove finalist last year, and, and he had these last year, and I think maybe his arm you know, kind of makes up for his, his roots. I never know whether I should say roots or routes. Mm-hmm. Well, it makes up for his roots uh, out, in the, uh, out in the outfield, but it is an issue, and I wouldn't be surprised whenever it is that George Springer comes back you know, one of the outfielders is going to have to DH. And I'm sure they're going to want to get Springer off his feet a bunch, and, and Teoscar and Gritchick too. But at crunch time, you might see Guriel DHing. Um, you know, Guriel's got a hit, too, and he's been better lately. But uh, I wonder if Guriel and Telez kind of end up being a soft platoon, if you know what I mean. Like, against certain guys, Rowdy's the DH, uh, and Guriel's not in the lineup. And against certain guys, Guriel's the DH, and Rowdy's not in there, maybe against a lefty. But, but to your point, his, his roots have never been good. They, ju- they just aren't. His arm is great, um, but he, in my mind, he... Uh, he needs to be better defensively, um, and, and I, I don't know if he can be because we've we've seen this for a couple of years. And to be fair, he played way more infield than outfield until the last couple of years. Um, but he just seems to, whether it's getting a late read on the ball or whatever it is, he makes he, he gets a good jump, but he he does not run his route, route efficiency is not very good. And and like you said, that was a tough play. That wasn't an easy one, but it's a play that in a playoff series has got to be made. Um, and we'll see if he can improve, and we'll see what their plan is when Springer comes back because uh, there are only three spots out there, and right now their best defensive infield would be or outfield rather would be Springer in center. Uh, Grichik and right and Hernandez and left. Uh, that that would be their best threesome, in my opinion. Yeah, and let's let's hope there's a playoff series that requires him to make a play yeah, like that. That'd exactly. be a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Exactly. Kind of come yeah. October. Well, we're obviously looking forward to tonight. Uh, Alec Manoa. Uh, he he could be an every fifth day must see TV type uh, for this for this Blue Jays team, and there's still so much excitement around him. Uh, we'll be watching. Dan, thanks for doing this, and you know we'll be calling on you next Wednesday. Okay, guys, looking forward to it. Thanks. Dan Schulman, the uh, play-by-play voice of the Blue Jays. Uh, The Jays and the Marlins, the back end of their uh, two-game series in Buffalo tonight. Manoa for the Blue Jays, Pablo Lopez for Miami. Kyle Dubas addresses the media at 4 o'clock this afternoon. Zig? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Uh, I'll be be glued. Uh, And I want to see what some of the guys have to say. Is it going to be the same old? They'll talk at 10.30. Yeah. Yeah. Is it going to be the same? You know, we got to be better next year or yeah, maybe changes have to happen. Maybe some guys will, you know, dive in a little bit deeper to what this team needs and what they need as an individual. I think that's what it comes down to. This is a look in the mirror time for the Leafs and it's a turning point in the organization. So I'm, we'll see a little bit tonight, you know, this morning and this afternoon, and I'm sure we'll discuss it tomorrow morning. You bet we will. 1030. Some players will speak to the media. You'll hear it live on Sportsnet 590. The Fan at 4 o'clock, Brendan Shanahan, Kyle Dubas, Sheldon Keefe, and you'll hear them live on Sportsnet 590. The Fan, we will break it all down at 6 o'clock tomorrow morning. Have a great Wednesday, and stay tuned for Good Show.